Welcome to episode 633 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 633 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How are you going, mate? I'm very good, and you? You're about to go for a cycle. I've uh, already had a swim this morning and I've biked up here and I'm going to go for a little bike afterwards. Time to get back on the bike, Bevan. Back on the bike? What's, what's the plan today? Just a few little gentle hill reps afterwards. Mate, the boy's hardcore, there's no denying it. I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance Your lactic buffer Tanya Pora Oh the most amazing place to have a holiday And our patrons And let's name a few Jumbo Chris the Judge Haig We've got Darren Breaking Bad Cranston I'm pretty sure he's racing over in Gold Coast I think I saw something pop up the other day Good this Darren. weekend for going to break Worlds. bad he is John He is uh, Scott the Minister Morrison We've got Linda Blades of Glory Row okay, She's guys. definitely over in the Gold Coast racing this weekend It's, it's where it's at this week isn't it mm. So is it, is, it, is it the age groups Age group world championships Sprint distance is Thursday Australian time And the Olympic is Sunday Key to that is you get the outfit it is. You know what I mean? Like, because in some countries, it's probably not that hard to qualify for the Age Group World Championships. Well, it varies a lot. Yeah, it, it varies does. It does. A lot. it does. But in some countries, but you get the national outfit. Mm. And then when you go out and sit there, no, it's weird. <laughs> People think you're really cool. Okay, on this week's show, we've got some news. We've got discussion of the week. We've got Age Group of the Week. We've got Stats Tastic. And we were really good interview with who, Jombo? We have Brian Rose from London Real, which is a podcast, video podcast, amongst other things, and he recently did a 70.3. And he's done a really good job of telling the story, so we got him on to talk about his experience there. Bit of winger of the week at the end, and some questions and answers. Uh, John, the news, we had a lot of races happening over the weekend, and Almere was happening, and uh, pretty interesting racing. Yeah, we did indeed. So Almera is one of the longest standing races in the European calendar. Uh, to say Rote is probably the only other one that uh, can match it. It's um, interesting. John Hellemans has got a book. We'll get him on soon. He's just recently released a book. Um, and he's a great Kiwi coach, a great athlete. Won about a gazillion age group world titles as well as being a very strong elite athlete himself um, but he also coached Aaron Baker and he was telling about an experience when Aaron was over and uh, doing this before it was a challenge race it was just the Almera triathlon and uh, it was a big big race back then and uh, she had some challenges to get through that day including changing a tyre that took a very long time and he was watching it all unfold on, oh, really? on TV because uh, <laughs> uh, it had live TV coverage and this is back in Bloody, it was like 80. Wait, so Tevra, was, was he living in New Zealand at this stage? No, he was over there supporting her family. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, he was living in New Zealand, but he was over there okay. supporting Erin, watching it all unfold on TV. Live TV coverage back in the 80s it was awesome. But anyway, this weekend, it was also doubling. Uh, I'm not sure if it doubled as a European Champs this year. I think next year it does. Anyway, we saw some race records. Uh, Yaroslav Kovacic um, from Slovakia swam 50. Uh, 50, 50 oh seven. What a great race. Um, biked 4.18 and then ran a 2.43.27 to break a very long standing record with a 7.55.43. 
And now, apparently conditions were pretty great this year. No, like last year, were terrible conditions, and you're always going to get winds in Elmira, but um, apparently conditions were pretty conducive to having a fast time. But you still got to do it, don't you? Still got to do it. And when you're, at, you're, you're lying down a 2.43, um, and it looked reasonably accurate uh, in terms of, we'll go through my Monday course accuracy checker later, but pretty close. So it's um, pretty awesome time, 7.55. Cam Worth was leading uh, during the run leg, um, but uh, f- faded to finish second. Well, I wouldn't say necessarily faded, but... That's a pretty good run for him. It is. So he ran a 2.52 um, after riding a 4.10. Uh, and Christian Hugenhaug from Denmark was third in 8.03. Uh, so some pretty awesome, impressive racing on the male side. Good old Brian McChrystal was out there banging yeah, it out again place. in sixth place. Um, on the female side, one of those rip your undies moments for Yvonne Van Vlerken when you miss out on another sub nine hour performance by one second. Oh, though I think Yvonne, she would have been lapping up the people. She would have been, but at the same time, you'd still be happier with your result True. with an 8.59.59 as oh, a... Oh, that's a really good question. I wonder for Yvonne, who's been around forever, who's done many sub nines, does that bother her now? I'd be guessing it wouldn't bother her much, but she'd still be happier if she was two seconds quicker, mm. I reckon. Mm. Anyway, it wasn't quite a dojo domination, but almost. Uh, so she swam an hour, um, 29 seconds, rode 4.48 and ran 3.07 for nine hours and one second. Uh, Alice Visser was uh, 16 minutes back in second. And uh, close race there, she was only a minute <clears throat> in front of uh, Lena Christian Stink from Germany in 9.17. So we also had Ironman Wales, and Ironman Wales, as the Red Rocket has informed us, is A, one of the most beautiful races in the world, but B, one of the most challenging races in the world. And the times reflect this. The men's winner, Matt uh, Troutman, he did a 8.53. Yeah, swam. <laughs> I mean, it's not just the bike. The bike's really challenging there, but also the run. You know, the most Ironman races pretty flat on the run they're either flat or just got slightly a few rolling hills. yeah this has got some by the look of it not that i've done it some uh, some decent amount of climbing and when you're absolutely on your deathbed just drilled in that last 10k going up hills is just painful <laughs> Uh, so anyway, Matt Troutman swam 51, he rode 4.54 and ran a 2.59 for an 8.53.21, uh, so that's good effort. Philip Graves, um, good to see him back racing you know, a little bit more consistently there, uh, finished 7 minutes back in 9 hours and 13 seconds and Gustav Rodriguez Iglesias uh, was 3rd in 9.09, so only 12 male female finishes. On the female side, uh, the queen of racing in the UK finishing off her iron distance racing career and moving back fully into medicine after having exams earlier in the week I was reading on Facebook uh, she swam a one hour uh, rode a 5.28 and ran a 3.15 for a 9.52 so Lucy Gossage uh one again, not quite a dojo domination, but she had some good athletes up against her. Camilla Peterson was second in 10.05, and Nikki Bartlett uh, in third, 10.14. Heather Bartle, Heather Wirtle back in fourth place. So good on Lucy Gossage for rounding out uh, her career in a good way. One thing that's really interesting is <coughs> excuse me, um, when we think about the popular Ironman races in the world, you're going to say the obvious ones like Ironman Kona and stuff like that, but when the ones that tend to stand out, Wales is up there. Oh yeah, you know when Good you know numbers. when we think about how many races are there nowadays? About forty. There's forty, yeah. Yeah, so when we think of forty races on the calendar, how many do you really think of are iconic ones? Mm. You know, what would you say, Wakona? 
What are the other ones? New Zealand, maybe because it's old. Yeah, possibly. You know, but, but we, that might be just because we're a New Zealand show. Mm-hmm. What are the other big Ironman races that kind of really come to mind? Now, Wales Man, is well, one of them. You got Ironman Germany, but just because it's Germany. Yeah. Yep. Um, France because it's got an epic bike course. I'd, I'd say there is quite a few. I, I'd, I'd, I agree with you. It's that longevity. Most of the races with longevity. You know, Austria's got its um, yeah, key sunk. Yeah, it's, it's fast. Um, I'd say, I'd, yeah, there's quite a few courses out there that are pretty good. I think the ones that are going to start getting more bagged more and more are the flat ones where drafting is rife. Um, Especially as numbers are huge. And numbers are huge. You know, when I'm thinking Barcelona, um, Florida, Texas, etc. That's where you get the negativity, but you get very little negativity out of Wales. People love it. Uh, it's a great course. People really love serious it. Challenge. Like, apparently, it's also a bit like rote, as in maybe not as in crowd numbers, but good local support. Mm, really great, great local support. Uh, Wisconsin was an age group race only. I know. So there was female pros, oh. um, age group males. Uh, so Lindsay Corbin did a dojo domination to the extreme. Was it a Bruce Lee dojo domination? Well, is that 40 minutes? Was oh, it 40 or 30? Well, anyway, she did 35. <sighs> so it's pretty, pretty, that's a pretty impressive performance. Uh, obviously, this time of the season, not uh, you're not up against the Kona contenders, but she went out and did the business. And qualified now. Uh, good point, yes. She's her point. first qualifier. Yeah, but she did set a new bike course record and overall course record improving to, uh, Gina Crawford's 2010 times by 13 and 15 minutes. Whoa. So... Yeah, she, she swam a 101, biked solo 4.59 and then ran a 3.04 for a 9.12. So good point, Bevan. She is qualified for Kona for next year. Yeah, same, same as the Wales winners. So yeah, we have our first 2019 Kona entries in mm. the pro field. KPR, not going to be that guessing game anymore, is it? No, we, we're definitely going to know. So good on her. Um, I would say I, I didn't watch the Facebook coverage, but I saw it popped up on my feed Uh and I just sort of, I, I turned it on for just a moment and I thought, God, this is boring just watching one person time trial for yeah. nine hours. Yeah. There's no excitement here. There's no interest. She's, she's so far in front. Uh, I do want to make sure we give a bit of love to some of the age groupers. So I'm just going on to the... The, uh, the website's supposed to be so poor. John's gone to the app. Well, the app, the app, to its credit, if you want to find out the top finishers, is fairly quick and easy. So let's see, she did 9.12. Yeah, there we go. No, maybe I spoke too soon. Oh. Sorry, age groupers. No. The app's not working. There we go. I'm handling us down again. John, we had Kona Watch. Um, and oh, just one other thing I want to say about Cam Worth, just rewinding it back to Almera, is so he ran a 252, um, which is not a 239 like Patrick Lang. But he rides like an run, axe. But he rides like an axe. And I think what we've got to remember is most guys in Kona do not run that fast. So looking at the recent results... You, know, mean, like, you mean riders? Uh, anybody. Nobody runs that fast. So you got, you know, Patrick Langer is the outlier. Last year he ran a 2.39, uh, and you had David McNamee ran a 2.45. All the other guys in the top 10 were in the 2.50s, most of them in the mid-2.50s, and some of them, like Ben Hoffman in ninth, ran a 3.04, and Boris Stein in 10th ran a 3 hours. That is a similar trend across pretty much every year. So, but, but do, what do those guys do at races outside of Kona? Um, pretty quick. Yeah, pretty quick. I guess my point that I'm making is if Cam Worth can run about three hours in Kona, he's not going to be winning the race. But if he can come off in a similar position to last year, so Lionel Sanders ran a 2.51 and finished in second place, if Cam Worth can be uh, in the region of uh, three hours, then he's likely to be, you know, in the top five. Okay. 
So just uh, interesting to know. Well, and with a two fifty two, a three hour in Kona is realistic. Is, is doable. Yeah. You know, uh, it obviously depends whether he rode super hard last weekend. He often seems to be saying, oh, "I'm doing these races as training," but you know, it's good good sign for his running improvement. Although he's doing this pretty close to Kona again. An Ironman. If he wasn't going full full noise. Uh, but you'd argue 250 is him going full noise. I, w- I would argue that too. Mm. We're not really arguing then, are we? No. We're just agreeing. I'll tell you what, he certainly started out bloody fast. He's running well under sub four minute Ks, so he was on for a... Uh, it would be good to see like a Saddler again, eh? Someone holding on off just the bike. Just going balls out and holding on and actually doing it. Um, Langer, so we, just, well, we had a, a 70.3 happen over the weekend and Langer managed second. Uh, but Jaws is making the point here, he's not really showing the pace that we saw last week at the World Championship. Now, a different environment, but he only ran a 2.13, wasn't it? A one thirteen, sorry. Yeah, half. so you know, comparing to <laughs> 70.3 Worlds, um, he seems doesn't seem to be amazing. But I, I guess it's going to be interesting to see where he finishes in terms of his god status in terms of greatest of the decade not goat status oh yeah you, you're jumping on board but i'm slowly getting there because you know let's say he wins kona again that's two kona wins plus a podium um but he got second didn't he uh, he's got second or third a I couple of years second, ago but yep. um but where's he gonna sort of someone like him where are they gonna fit in history in terms of not doing hardly anything else outside of kona but then going over there and if uh, he wins this year this year's a credible year to win. Oh, yeah. you'd, you'd argue maybe the most competitive Ironman field ever. That's a pretty big argument, but yes. Well, I, look who's there. We got Frodo and Gomez. Yeah, yeah. There's been plenty of other years, but but I understand your point. It's, it's up there, but isn't it? Yeah. It's not a weak year, is it? No. And if he can if he can win it this year, and particularly if, if it's everyone has a good day. Now, no, mm-hmm. that never happens. But if some of the rock stars have a big day. Then by all means he he goes up that ladder quite high. I agree. Yeah. So oh, this god this this goat discussion is going crazy. Um, Trenzo looks like he's heading to Kona at least according to Facebook, which is a good thing. I don't know what we can expect of him, but it's pretty cool that he's going to be there. Yeah. So this post said he's he's heading to Kona. It doesn't say anything about racing, but I guess he's going to head over there and, and assess the fitness. But he's uh, heading in the right direction. It's definitely going to be a big what if for this year, isn't it? That might be this year's big what if. Yes. I mean, I realistically. Can you do you think that Tim Don can uh, pull out a massive performance after what he's been no, through? No, but my, 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 my what if with Terenzo is what if he didn't have the accident? Oh yes, okay. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I really would have seen him getting a top five. Mm. You know, and, and who knows after that because some of the races he did early in this year are pretty phenomenal. Uh, just coming up, races that are non Ironman branded. John, what's on the agenda? We've got the Bella Toman Fjord in Hungary. You've got the Brutal in Wales, the Bear Lake Brawl that comes the up Bear every Lake year. Brawl. Uh, the Evergreen Endurance is listed there. I'm pretty sure that's not happening. And then one other one that I thought was quite interesting it's called the Goliath in Syracuse. Uh, in the United States. Now, so I clicked on that one to sort of find out a bit more about it. And it's actually a bit unique. It's a, um, a team race. So you, it's not in, in a sense that, well, you can do it as an individual, but then you can also do it as a three-person team, or I think it, maybe the other option was like a seven-person team, or even oh, a cool. ten-person team. Cool. And so you could do, I, I can't remember if it was two laps swim, but like you had one person doing one lap, another person doing another lap, and on the bike I think there was different changeover points. So I thought that was quite unique, quite gimmicky, and I actually thought it was a really cool idea, especially where they've positioned it in the season, at the very end of the season, unless people fun. are going to Kona, 
it's a would be a great way to round out the season. So nice work um, with the the Goliath. Uh, Mark Scudamore sent through an email saying on Sunday, September the sixteenth, the Barrelman Nigeria Nigeria Falls, Niagara Tri- Falls. Oh, sorry, Niagara. We're not Nigeria. Niagara Falls Triathlon will go off in Welland, Ontario, Canada. This is a half distance triathlon that finishes with a run that loops past the iconic Niagara Falls twice. And they actually sent a post on Facebook with that photo, and it does look bloody cool. Yeah, no, thanks, Mark, for sending that through. It would be really cool if you guys can start sending through random races, not just if it's just another standard half Ironman, but if it's if it's races that we you've never heard us mention on the show that are coming up or a little race reports, um, if they're 70.3 or above, I'm not going to promise we're going to cover every single one, but especially like this one where it goes past Niagara Falls, pretty unique. So if they've got a unique selling point, Flick them through and let us know. Big news uh, this week also is that Ironman, a Wanda sports company, uh, today announced that it's acquiring the three races from Revolution 3 Triathlon. Ironman now will be comp- uh, operating these events as 70.3 Connecticut, uh, Virginia, and also Maine. So those are previously with uh, three races uh, and now in the Ironman series. And in many ways, good on the people from Revolution for selling the races, but it's a bit sad, really, because it never really became what you hoped it could be. Yeah, so it's different. We we don't have a we're not in the states, so don't really understand how much of an impact Rev Three had. <coughs> but I think it's a sign of the times. It lasted a while. I, I, yeah, but I don't think Iron Man would have necessarily gone out and wanted to be gobbling up the competition. But uh, you know, these races, a lot of uh, half distance races around the world, seem to be shrinking to the point that. So if Iron Man doesn't take them over, they're falling over and they're not going to exist anymore. So it's probably easy to put the boot into Iron Man here and say, oh, you're ruining something else going on. Um, but I dare say that with the numbers, these events may well not have happened otherwise. So, On the Slow Twitch article, one thing that uh, I think it's Dan, Dan, Enfield, wrote, yeah, Dan yeah. mentions is that ultimately one of the things that really hurt them to get profitable, profitable was too much price boost. So he's got here on, uh, yeah. ten years. Uh, ten years ago, family friendly series focused on athletic experience. A heavy focus on supporting pro athletes meant a hundred thousand dollar purses. Purses made it difficult to find a pathway to profitability. So, as much as we say back the pros, mm. kind of hurt his brand a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Other new piece of news that came out today is there's a title sponsor for Ironman this year, and I can't. Can you recall when they last had title sponsor? When we were over there one time, there was that, that my list. Yeah, and, and, that was, and we had a bit of a talk know. with someone behind the scenes, and they weren't that happy with their sponsorship either. Yeah, and then and that was a random one, wasn't it? And then because even the app didn't make sense. Yeah, they've had Go GoPro that was sort of presented by GoPro, but anyway, it was just announced this morning that Amazon are the title sponsor of really? Ironman this year. Interesting one. And uh, they're, they're the, the title sponsor, and they're also the official sports nutrition retailer of the iconic triathlon event. So what does that mean? Uh, I guess if you want to... The retailer. So they must have a page you go to. Mm. Yeah, so oh, it was a bit like, yeah, I was like, Amazon, good on them. They've got plenty of dough, but interesting. It, the thing about... Have you, have you read his book? Jeff Bezos. Yeah, no? Bezos or Bezos. Ruthless man. <laughs> <laughs> he is... like He's the richest man in the world right now, so he's yes. a very successful businessman, and look at what he's built, but he is ruthless and and there's always a reason behind every decision not not you know and so be really interesting to see what this means two or three years from now like amazon coming into our world mm. um they wouldn't be doing it for pr you wouldn't think mm. amazon don't need iron man's bloody abc's program to yeah so who knows maybe yeah. we'll find out when we're over there yeah, it'd be pretty interesting so you know 
Anyway, yeah, if you are going to buy from Amazon, do we have a link? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what the hell is going on, John? John's being a little bit frustrated. Oh, I wasn't going to bring this up, up then. I said, Bevan, I will flag it. But I just got a bit annoyed the other day when I saw an article on triathletemagazine.ca. And it was... Canada? Uh, it was basically saying that uh, they were looking at a study around low-carb diets. And now I'm not advocating here that everybody should be on a low-carb diet diet high fat diet i'm not advocating anything i will say if you, a lot of more studies are coming out now that are kind of debunking a little bit every everything you look at there's going to be studies not everything yeah. but almost every type of nutritional thing you, you're going to look at there's going to be pros and cons so it wasn't wasn't so much the topic it was more that they were citing something that <clears throat> basically had the, the low debunking it a long-term carbohydrate diet high fat diet impaired performance and subject of well-being of a world-class vegetarian long distance triathlete so they're citing a case study of one person um to saying that this might not be uh, the, the the best idea for you the performance went down though a bit grumpy oh, so i just you know so I'm not going to rant massively, but I just think you can't base your decisions based off one single person uh, and, and their performance. It could be a multitude of other things going on. So I was a bit disappointed in them. Come on, Triathlete Mag, sharpen up. John's ITU update. It's a big weekend this weekend because we have the grand finale for the World Triathlon Series. It's not the championship races. Well, it is a championship race because you get more points more money, but it's not the old world champion like the old days, but still it's an important race. Or is it? It is a very important race, and you've got all the big kahunas there with the exception of um, Flora Duffy. Uh, I had a bit of a look at the point scoring system because there's, there's big money on, on, on the line with the, with the series and with this particular race. So the way that the series works is, is the grand final plus five best scores in the ITU World Triathlon Series. So there's eight races in total. So you, if you've done a weight, you can drop some of them. But the way that I read this is you have to do the grand final, and that's got to count as one of your scores, plus five other events. Wait a second, but you, oh, okay, so there's eight altogether. So you have, you have to be in six. Okay, so you can so do all eight, but you You don't six, have okay. to do six, but you're only going to get points okay. from six. But the way I read it, you have to do the grand final, and that has to be one of your point scoring's uh, events. So, so if, if you bomb out, screwed. you are really, really screwed. Um, it's, but wait, if you, what, what level of points, what number of entrants doesn't get a point? Uh, everybody will get points. So as long as you finish. As long as you finish. Okay. But if you finish well down the field, maybe you puncture or something, then you're kind of screwed, I think, the way that I read this. So there's more points on offer this weekend. There's 1,250 um, for the winner. And then there's uh, <clears throat> 1,000 points um, at compared to 1,000 points at other races. Um, prize money, so there's also much more prize money. There's $30,000 on the line for the win at this particular race compared to 18,000 at other races. It does pay down as far as 25 deep, uh, so 1,000 for 25th. But in addition to that, the World Series pool uh, starts at 83,500. That's for male and female for first place. Drops about, what, 20... 26k or something like that to 53,000 then drops to 39 to 26 to 21 and so I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is you see some really big swings with this final race if people bomb out badly um, or if they perform exceedingly well you know you can quite easily lose 10 to 20,000 dollars which for, for triathletes is quite big money so 
Yeah, it should be a good weekend for, for people down under and for the European listeners. Really good time zone to be, to be watching. So it's going to be Saturday and Sunday evening um, New Zealand time, which is going to be Saturday and Sunday morning. So if you do want to get onto triathlonlive.tv, then you can do that if you guys are doing an early morning trainer session over in the UK. Bit of a shame for us Kiwis. We've only got Sam Ward on the male side. Ryan Sissons looks like he's out injured, which is a bit of a pain in the butt. Uh, so good luck. There'll be loads of... Um, Age groupers from especially New Zealand and Australia racing. Um, Your pick? Who's going? To, is the Mora going to take it for the year? Oh yeah, yeah. The, the, the men's men's race, unless there's a breakaway on the bike, it's um, highly up. unlikely that anybody's going to beat him. And even if he doesn't finish in the first couple, I think he's got a pretty much an um, unsaleable lead. So Jake Burkhorsel's currently ranked second, Vincent Louis third, Richard Murray fourth, and Christian Blumenfeld fifth. Um, and those are oh, your. Still only twenty eight. Sorry, he's only twenty eight. Who's that? Um, Marion Moller. Yeah, he's got... But uh, it's going to be so much more interesting on the females race because you've got Katie Zaveris and Vicky Holland. Um, whoever finishes above the other person is likely to take out the series. So, oh, cool. Uh, I've got to say, on the on the female side of racing, you look at the top ten, uh, say the top eight, uh, with the exception of Rachel Klammer, who won the opening round, all Americans or Great Britain athletes. Compared to the males' side, and it's, uh, it's a bit of a spread. You've got, you know... Two Spanish in the top eight, and the rest are all different nationalities. Yeah, it is interesting how that happens, isn't it? Mm. Sorry, there's two South Africans as well. So, good times. Good luck to everybody racing over there this weekend. Just course, course accuracy from last weekend, and Joe Skipper actually sent through Romero, and apparently it was I know, that, I, I looked at Joe Skipper's Strava from last year, and Almira looked to be very accurate last year, and I assume it was the same this year. Okay, good times. Um, just but looking at the other ones, um, I've just got to pull it up on Facebook. Bevan, tell us uh, tell us something interesting about your. Uh, well, what I will say is Jack Bootwhist has got. A, I mean, Jacob Bootwhist has got a pretty big career. He's only twenty three, and he's he's doing really well for himself, isn't he? He's got a mean finish. He's so often he's completely several times he's gone from about fifth or sixth place to finishing second or third in the last K. Really? Uh, very impressive uh, turn of speed. So, yep, totally agree. He has got. <clears throat> a big future in front of him. And what else do you notice there, Bevan? I'm well, just waiting for the Facebook page. To um, um, I also notice that Richard Murray looks older than 29. Right. Just, I'm just, you're trying to get me kill time? You yep. said, what else did you notice? Okay, uh, here we go. Lucy Francis said, trust me that Ironman Wales is more than accurate. Volker Voigt, he said he did challenge Almira um, half distance and he got the bike at 92 k's and he got the run at 21. Um, a bit of variation in the Wales numbers over here. Um, Matthew Jones said he got 4.1 k of swimming um, and was probably down to him, 177.8 on the bike and a 43k run, whereas uh, got Graham Freestone, he did Wisconsin, and he got a, f uh, he's gone yards, I'm not so good with yards, 111 miles on the bike and 26.06 on the, the run, so a touch short there, and finally we'll say Dan Dickinson said uh, 4.1k swim. I will say, consistently, I mean, Wales looks like they had a long swim there with 4.1. Um, Lorcan Fisher said 4.2k's. The bike generally looks reasonably accurate, 178 to 179k's. And the run seems to be consistently long as well as being hilly. So 
good work anybody did at Ironman Wales. Good stuff. How, mm. how now brown cow dolphins is just accept it, guys. Ironman Wales is at least 25 miles longer than any other Ironman. <laughs> Forget your trips to Rote. You need to come over for this one. Okay, John, sponsor. We're going to talk about Tanya Pora. Uh, it's a pretty amazing place to go for a holiday and also for an athlete. And I think the McKenzie's, Luke McKenzie and Beth McKenzie are oh, over nice. there training at the moment. And I think they're pretty sure Beth McKenzie's down to race uh, Kona. So a bit of a comeback for her post-baby. Uh, so swim, bike and run in paradise. One thing I'll say over there, if you're thinking a bit of an end-of-season race for your Northern Hemisphere athletes or a early-season race, the Laguna Phuket Triathlon is in November. You could go stay in Tanyapura and go and do that awesome race. It's been around for donkey's years. Uh, got all all year-round weather averages of 27 to 29 degrees centigrade, so beautiful temperatures. Remember, they've got those beautiful swimming pools. They've got a 50-metre, they've got a 25-metre, they've got the 500-metre running track. You get to experience all the cool things about Thailand. Um, and if you are keen to get on the mailing list for a camp that I'm planning over there in 2019, which will be October time, combining in with a half-distance race, uh, get in touch with me. But uh, awesome place combine it with a holiday or just go there for some awesome heat training so check it out at tanyapora.com tanyapora and, and the feedback we get from everyone is it's pretty very cool so oh, whenever we interview people they just they go over there with pretty high expectations but it's usually exceeded over delivers john this week's discussion we've got a pretty interesting discussion that we're going to talk about this week it was basically now that we've gotten through this year's 70.3 world champs we would like to know what changes if any would you like to see to the Age group 70.3. Some people do not read the age well, I know, group part some people of it. Saying, Come on, guys. It was pretty awesome. Uh-huh. Read, read. Yes. That's what we're saying here. So uh, Rebecca Jocelyn says, I just loved it. Remember the first hyper-competitive year, both males and females. Love the two-day format. Imagine if it could be done in Hawaii. Yeah, actually, a bit of discussion happened after that. Agree. Peter Colson's got agree. Uh, they need to do this in Hawaii to cut down the drafting so we can actually get to see the women's race rather than just a swim in the final three k. He's talking about the pros race, Bevan. You're, you're, you're getting led off topic there. I know, I know. I'm sorry. Come on, pick up your game. I'm sorry. Daniel yep. Clark, um, pro triathlete that he is, he's not talking about the pro race, but he says the rolling start has to go. One idea is to have a competitor, competitor wave for each age group. Athletes in these waves go first and for um, and it's everybody's racing for placing. Referees will be very strict in enforcing the rules for these athletes whether it's drafting uh, dropping back keeping to the right etc so good point Daniel but I kind of think that everybody should be if they're at the world championships you'd hope they're there to compete some people just want their top uh, Jordan Blanco and I think Jordan got top 10 in our age group so well done Jordan um, can they please mix up the start order last three Years 45 to 49 have been second to last and last and last. It makes a huge difference to the enjoyment of the race for me going into an early wave versus the last. I know someone needs to go last and I don't mind once in a while, but every damn year, and she's got an angry face. Angry face. I know, shit's getting serious. (laughs) Uh, We had to wait around 90 minutes after handling in our morning clothes bag and sitting around in a wetsuit and unable to do a warm-up run, etc., Onto the course, it was super crowded. As a fast cyclist, it was a serious, uh, a series of off to your left for 56 miles. Is with some athletes not seeming to understand that they needed to stay right. The road course was also super crowded by the time I was running, and that's for the woman. Twice as crowded for the men. So she did have some good points here. Yeah. 
Yeah, good points. A, the, cra- the crowding, and B... I do think they have to mix up the starts. I do think it's unfair to give the same age group. I know that's probably based on how many in your age group. Yes. But it's, mm. it is unfair if every year oh, your yeah. age groups last. Totally agree. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Matthew Binns, he's got... I'd like to say the mix was just right. Rotating the race gives it a true world championship feel. Giving Taupo New Zealand a race would be great. That is true. Yes, I'm an Aussie saying that. Just going to hide now from the angry locals over here in Oz. Pike Reardon says more age group slots for the region the race is being held. Um, when it was held in the USA Chattanooga, the slots really rolled down. This year in South Africa, it did roll down at the races. I'm sure the European races next year will be very competitive, not so much down under or in the States. Uh, Richard Swaninoa's got, admittedly, I've never done it, but they could change it by letting Taupo New Zealand for the next Asia Pacific cycle. It would be great to rotate the champions amongst continents. Um, Michael Taylor, I think they need to tweak the qualification system so that, um, that there is, in addition to the automatic qualification, some sort of pool point system for consistency, consistently high performances. Uh, all the races across Australia only have 30 slots, which effectively mean um, for some of the smaller age groups you have to win your category to get uh, in for automatic entry. I managed to get a roll down in the 45 to 49 um, male for the Sunshine Coast, finishing 11th, three slots in my age group. My fa- partner finished 7th in the 40-44, to 44, but the slot was taken by the athlete in second. She could easily finish in the top three or five in another four races, spending enough money to buy a new car or getting the roof fixed uh, and still not getting a spot. I know, I know life's not fair, but here's hoping. Good old uh, Arnold's got 1,500 participants only. No roll-down slots if your time is with 10% higher than your age group winner. Um, age group wave start, systematic drug testing for top three. Mm. Mm. So, look, my, my I guess my points with this would be um, they need to reduce the competitor numbers. I mean, I, I, I was giving the thumbs up to South Africa. I was really impressed with how many participants did actually end up yeah. going over there. Um, <clears throat> but it's just too many, and I know they've got to make a buck. Um, but going but back really, to my point last week, would you be willing to pay more? Like, if you would you be willing to pay a third more if it was less of a field? Well, no, I wouldn't. So what do you pay? What do you pay right now to do the world chip? It's probably a thousand bucks. I'm I'm guessing it'll be less than that, but it would be somewhere between five hundred and thousand. I'm guessing. Okay, so if it was twelve hundred, but you knew that you're going to have a good race where it's not overcrowded, where like to me, I just think that's I I, I understand what you're trying to say, but well, that doesn't cost that much. If, you, if you're getting, you know, if, say fifteen hundred males and and a thousand females. Um, You've got to be able to make the event. You know, it's got to break even at those sort of numbers. I, it's got to. There's something's going wrong if, if they're charging five hundred bucks or whatever it is, and you're getting that many people, and you're not able to break even. Something's got to, got to go. Got to go right. Something's going wrong. And so, yeah, I guess uh, to answer your question, no, I wouldn't want to pay more. But that's because I'm a tight ass. But uh, no, I probably wouldn't. But look at your last Kona experience. You said you wouldn't go back because it was a draft fest and it really ruined the race for you. Hmm. If, you if they'd said to you, pay 500 bucks more, there's going to be less competitors on the field, and it did guarantee that you, it wasn't a draft fest, would you be willing to pay 500 bucks more for no. a better experience? I'm tight ass Bevan. No, no, but I think you would. Sorry? I think you would. I think, I think you know, because you care about a good quality race. Yeah, but I'm pretty price sensitive. Yeah, no, but for a world championship, mm. you know, if, you'd go, if you go to the, the world age groups championships and they have a field and it's really well thought out and there's enough gap and it is you know you pay more to do this race but you know a it's going to be a fair race b it is only quality of athlete who should be there 
And in C, I don't have a C, but it's <laughs> um, but if you get what I mean, yeah, I do get I, what I you mean. I think you would pay. <laughs> you paid, how much did you pay to go to Kona? Uh, it's about a thousand bucks. And you won't go back, will you? No, not until they change the system. So would you pay 1500 if it was a great race? No. I think you would. <laughs> I do think you would. Yeah. I think if, I think if, you, if you knew Kona could be a proper race where you weren't drafting, you were actually man-o-man oh man against your age group, you'd go, you know it what? Would, it would, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'd say is... Because the thing... Sorry, but the thing is, profit's the driver. Mm-hmm. Now, I know this is also an, a kind of iconic event on their calendar, so that's really important, and it's an advertisement, you know, for their their sport. Um, but it is also... It, I guess all, in my mind, they're just being greedy, and that's probably part of what I, what I don't like about it. Yeah, but um, what's going to help them change? And if you can say you can make the same money with less people... Mm. That's what my thoughts are. Uh, my thoughts is they're just going to suck it up and make less money. So I think um, one thing, there's too many competitors on the course, and I do agree with some people that the qualifying qualifying system is not getting the strongest athletes there consistently. So I'd probably rather see something that's a bit more percentage-based. So if you are, at, at, say, look, this is just plucking a number, but say you do finish within, um, I don't know, say, Five percent of the winner, you're guaranteed a slot. So there might be okay. There's um, if you finish within five percent, that you're guaranteed a slot. And uh, if you finish within ten percent, for example, as long as there's enough slots, it might roll down. But then you, when you go to a race and you know if you're competitive, but you might have finished third, then you know you've got a slot um, because it's. I think it does become a problem. Like in Europe this year, when it's going to be in France, every man and his dog is going to try to qualify. It's going to be extremely difficult to get in. Uh, and you might finish fourth and be uber competitive, but you might miss out. So I think a percentage-based system might well work better, um, but I guess you've got to get that balance about trying to control the number of people on the start line. And there's so many bloody 70.3s now. Um, that's one of the issues. Uh, they've got slots every race. It just irks me when you're at races and it rolls down and people who are finishing in the back third of the field are still getting a, a slot and going and that's creating more congestion on the course. And as Jordan was saying, then you're riding through people that really probably haven't uh, aren't at the standard of everybody else. And fair enough, they're playing by the rules, they've qualified, so no problem. But I'm just saying the rules perhaps. You are saying it's a problem, but the rule, it's a problem with the rules, not the person. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, I, I also think um, it's that whole thing of what experience are they creating for the people? You know, like mm. you don't want to go back to Kona. Mm. And, and I'm sure lots of people are going to go back to Kona because it is the golden ticket and it is the prestige event of our, our sport. But. You know, that, that's long-term, that's not a good thing for the sport. Mm. You know, a few championship races are experiences that people ultimately dislike. Although, Jordan is complaining, he has the angry face, but she goes back every year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, the prestige does keep bringing people back. So, interesting discussion. John, this week's discussion is, if you were to put a three-person team together for an Ironman, with you being with similar abilities, how would you break it up to get to start to finish as fast as possible? Now, is this? Tell, give me some more guidance. So, here. so this is really <laughs> referencing back to that uh, the Goliath that, that came up before. So, so it's not one person has to do the bike. No, okay. it's like you, you can you tag can, team. You can tag team it. How you can do. 
you know, however you want to do it. You can do a quarter, quarter, the quarter of the swim on the each on the bike. Oh, here we on go. the swim, you can do ten k reps on the bike, uh, changing over every ten k. So you have to have a boat for how, this bike for the swim. Yep. Uh, how, we're not talking logistics here. We're just thinking: no, how would you get from A to B as quick as possible? Would you have one person doing a whole lap of the swim? Would you have somebody doing forty k on the bike? What's your strategy? Similar abilities. So you're all similar abilities. So you can't say, oh, "I'll put my strong That's swimmer in the swim," one, because it's also a different race. Hmm. Because if you're doing short blocks, it's big and Intensity, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and, and in theory, you, you know, you're doing a third of an Ironman in a day. So, okay, mm. well, that's this week's discussion. So, breaking up, tagging in and out as much as you want the race. How would you put it together, John? I'm going to put some music on. Age group of the week. week, and we got an angry email about this one, didn't we? Was this the one who gave oh, us an angry email? We were email? supposed to do it a few weeks ago, and no, we didn't. Um, Clyde gave us, he gave us, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> gave us Clyde an email. Rosanowski <laughs> sent through this week's age group of the He's week. Got, this week, I'd like to nominate my mate Nicholas Brown, also known as MB1 or Downtown Brown, as the list goes on really. For age grouper of the week, Nick is originally from Belclutha in been, Otago. Have you been to Belclutha? I had a wild weekend in Belclutha when I was a younger man. I went there. And the Belclutha boys, they, there's not a lot to do in Belclutha. Nice. But they know how to party. I went into this room. They had this big old shed. Yeah. And we walked in, and this is when I went into my recreational drugs, John. Yeah. And uh, just tables full of alcohol and drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to this room, and we partied from Thursday. So much so, on Sunday, whenever I was going home, I, I, I just said, bugger this, I'm staying out of a night. I had to hitchhike home. <sighs> and uh, they took us rally driving. It was a... So awesome Belcluth is a small town, ta- very small town, and uh, towards the bottom of the South Island of New Zealand. Good time. So I uh, started running as a runner and recently finished fifteenth overall, including pros, and won his age group and qualified for Kona at the Ironman Canada. Nick finished in a nine forty and a fifty seven swim, a five twenty five bike, and a three twelve run. As you know, this is an extremely hard race with super amounts of climbing, and it was extremely hot this year as well. Yeah, Nick is a thinking man. Athlete, I knew him from when we used to run together years ago, and frankly, Nick is not super gifted. Where he excels is his ability to research, understand, and apply training and nutrition methods to become a great athlete. Plus, he's an ex- internal, external, sorry, uh, optimist, which always makes him go good to be around. Nick only started tries after a few years ago after being a mainly on and sometimes off again runner for most of his life. He managed to run some pretty impressive times including a 69 half marathon and a string of 226 to 228 marathons. Yeah, that's pretty fast. That's, that's a fast runner. Mm. That's not just a recreational runner. He's also run at the marathon majors like New York, Boston and so on. Uh, when Nick started triathlons a few years ago, his Strava files tended to suggest that he swam like a rock, and I can never recall him ever riding a bike at all. But now, only a few short later, years later, he is a weapon. What makes Nick's overall high, uh, sorry, high overall placement in age group one even more impressive was that he was taken out when lapping a rider at a recent Ironman World Duathlon. Uh, World- Drafting championships. <laughs> Sorry, he means I'm in Texas. <laughs> yeah, uh, Nick, uh, being the bloke that he is, didn't let the fact that he missed the possible 8:50 time and continued on the race to finish at 9:28 and looked like he had been in a bar fight. And he sent a picture to a YouTube clip with that. Uh, Nick is one of the nicest people I know. 
always keen to help others with anything and never a bad word to say about anyone. Nick lives in Vancouver and his new and awesome wife Christina where he works in IT and still happily to answer any of my basic IT questions from anywhere in the world. As you can see, Nick is thoroughly deserving of Age Group of the Week. Nicely worded um, Age Group of the Week there by Clyde Rosnowski. Good work. Yeah. Don't and be disappointing us anymore, Clyde. Very impressive times. Oh, my God. Uh, a, just for the, for the Ironman performance with a, a 9.40 uh, in a very difficult conditions in uh, Ironman Canada. So spanking it. 15th overall, one is age group. Boom. Boom. Kona bound. You so, see over there on the big island in what? About four weeks now, isn't it? Jeepers, creepers. Downtown Brown. I think it was five weeks last weekend. So There you go. Downtown Brown. This time. We'll see you there. You are out. Four, hold on, this time in four weeks time, Bevan, we'll be, we'll be heading to the airport. I'm on, I'm on the old... Premium economy. Oh God! You throw us some peanuts back there with me right. and Blender and economy. Okay. Uh, so downtown Brown, Nicholas Brown from Belclutha. You are our age grouper of the week. Okay, stats tastic. It's fantastic. Got to give uh, Russell Cox from Coach Cox uh, a little bit of credit here because actually Jordan Blanco, who you were discussing earlier, she actually sent this through to me and she'd been in discussions with uh, with both Russ and Torsten. And this relates to uh, the fastest Ironman age group times of all time. I don't think you've got the file in front of you, Bevan. No, I so, don't. Um, what do you think is going to be the fastest... Age group Ironman times. Age group Ironman time of yes. all time. Yes. Well, well since, I'm not sure since how far he's, I think you were saying when we interviewed him, it's been like the last 15 years maybe. Mm. So the fastest age group, I'm going to say one to eight. What? I'm going to say eight. Yes. Yeah, that's a pretty safe bet. Well done. Yeah, Got first digit right. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, two. Incorrect. That's three. Not one. Yes, correct. Really? And take a stab at the last digit. I got. I got. Uh, uh, I'm going to say eight. Close seven. So the fastest Jesus age group Ironman times that uh, we've seen recorded. Uh, first three are all from Texas. So Ryan Giliano it was eight seventeen, and then uh, Sam Guide and Daniel Stabletsky, who are good Kona performers, eight tw- both eight twenty one. Uh, only nine seconds separating them. Um, next races are the fastest: are Barcelona, uh, Sweden, Texas. Couple from Copenhagen, Sweden, Sweden, and Texas. So fastest time overall was eight seventeen, and it rolls down to the tenth fastest. Fastest time being uh, 8.29.44. So pretty fast. Good to see a couple of 40 to 44 men up there um, in the second and third place with Sam and Daniel. On the female side, Bevan, what do you think uh, is the fastest female time? Eight. (sighs) Seven. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nine. It was, in fact, um, the recent performance. Nine, oh, 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 one. Uh, No, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no one. Oh, it was on the dot. Yeah. Oh, really? So that was the fastest ever, and she didn't quite get the eight. Yeah, so Christina oh. Svenstrup in Copenhagen went nine hours, zero, zero. Uh, the next one's a couple from Texas, was Hilary Fenton. She went nine, zero, zero, 49. And then a big gap back to the next one was... Uh, Elsa Beta Vila at Texas as well. Uh, and then you've got... Oh, you've got to say... that. Apologies to all the, the people that finished um, above her in terms of time, but you know there's questions about some of those races, especially Texas. Um, but this has got to be all my pop- exes are in Texas. 
this is possibly <laughs> the greatest one, is Kath- uh, the Ironman World Championships. Catherine Fole from Great Britain in 25 to 29 went 9, 15, 16, which is 2, 4, the 6th, 5th. Fifth fastest time that they've got recorded there is yeah, done in Kona. Mind towards you. Okay. Yeah, uh, so Catherine Foe, that's pretty bloody impressive to have the, one of the fastest times in Kona. It was a fast year, 2013, but still, yeah, it's Kona. That's that's freakish, isn't it? Okay, John, we've got a great interview up with Brian Rose. Brian Rose, you, pro- you probably would have seen him because he's a pretty big YouTuber slash podcaster. He's got a podcast called London Real. Uh, it's a really good podcast, actually. I highly recommend having listened to it. I've, I haven't listened to every episode, but I do listen to it occasionally, and it's really great. Uh, and that's LondonReal.tv, but he's recently done the 70.3 and went about it in a pretty interesting way. So we thought we'd check out an interview with Brian. Here he is right now. Okay, guys, uh, this week we've got a slightly different guest on because we know that most of you guys listening, you know, you're, you're either regular triathletes, Ironman, half Ironman, um, but today we're going to talk with Brian Rose. Uh, some of you might have heard of him. He has a podcast called London Real. I've actually uh, listened to a few of them, John. I listened to, I really loved your one with Dan Carlin. That was a great one. Very so. good. Yeah. Uh, oh. And... Um, and so Brian recently embarked on going to into the 70.3, so we're going to hear about that. And I do think it's really important for us uh, experienced athletes sometimes to take a step back and actually understand and appreciate what people actually go through when they're doing their very first event. So looking forward to this. So welcome along to the show, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So give us a bit of background um, in terms of uh, not necessarily your sporting background initially, but your background to where you got to in terms of uh, producing London Real and just give us a bit of context on on what your life has been like. Yes, yeah, so I'm a kid from San Diego, California. I grew up on the beach and uh, and lived there for 17, 18 years. Went to Torrey Pines High School where Tony Hawk graduated. And, nice. You know, was, yeah, I was surrounded by a bunch of surfers, but I was always like the science geek in school. And so I was the guy, the computer programmer, the science fair guy. And so I ended up going to MIT and studied mechanical engineering in Boston. And that was kind of my my dream, you know, to be like the tech guy. And and while I was there, I kind of got the Wall Street bug. And at the time, in the early 90s, they were hiring these kind of like rocket science mathematicians, engineers to come and help them price all these derivatives. So I went to New York City in 93, and I started becoming a banker. And, uh, you know, that took me on kind of a crazy ride, um, had a had a ups and downs in New York City. And then I got to London in, in 02, and, you know, just kept going here. I did that for about nine years until... I was just going out of my mind. I was just, uh, I was bored. Um, the money didn't mean anything anymore. Uh, and I was really, really unhappy and depressed. And I walked out and, and started broadcasting. And it's been seven years now with London Real. And I've been just, you know, blessed to have about 500 different types of people here for these long form conversations. And we started doing this a long time ago when there wasn't much of this happening. And we were always on video. And so, it's been this crazy journey. I meet some crazy people and they all change my life in some way. And, and what about your sporting background? You know, you said you, you were in a sporting environment when you were a kid, but you didn't really, you know, you probably weren't quite up there with Tony Hawk. But going into this Ironman journey, what's, what's your sporting background? You know, I, in high school, one of, one of my kind of geeky friends convinced me to wrestle for one year. So I did that and, you know, got really beat up and and didn't really train much after that until I got to London in 02 and I started training Brazilian jiu-jitsu, did some Thai boxing and and lifted weights. And that was about it. 
you know, that was kind of my training background, really short burst anaerobic cardio, you know, type stuff. And I never was attracted to anything endurance. I just never found a reason to do it. Again, I was always into these kind of martial forms or, you know, I, st- I actually ended up started trying to break dance a couple of years ago, but it was <laughs> a very different, you know, very different type of training. So, you know, this whole adventure was really new to me. Can I, can I ask, because, you know, both John and I come from athletic lives, you know, we've pretty much been sporty kids and so on. Um, when you introduce a fitness regime, it be it fighting, what was it like adding that to your life at that time? Because if you'd never really had an athletic experience, what did that add to your life, just the idea of having activity in your life regularly? Yeah, I found it opened up a whole new window for me. It just showed me that it it it, it gave me something that was missing. It calmed me down. Um, I, I watched my body change. I saw I started making you know, diet decisions, you know, where there wasn't a decision before. And I, I really got addicted to the whole process. And it's amazing that I missed it most of my life, but I really started to see how it was a critical component of being a human. When you're in your head all the time, like a lot of scientific people are, computer people, you, you seem to think of the body as a vehicle to carry around the brain. I think a lot of us feel that way. And I've had guests on like Elliot Hulse that say literally the body is the mind. And I believe there is this real connection. And when I started to see that through training, it started to change the way I looked at my body. So I had kind of learned some of that, but you know, the endurance stuff definitely took it to another level. So what actually motivated you to, to go and do uh, you know, 70.3 race? Well, you know, every week I have a guest in here and it could be someone like Dan Carlin, who's, you know, badass with his hardcore history, or it, it could be a MMA fighter or a New York Times writer or anyone. And they all kind of change me somehow. They, some of them take my life in different directions and sometimes I'll go and visit them and, you know, do documentary movies about them. And, you know, November last year, this guy named John Joseph came in and, I never really heard of him, but he had been the lead singer of a hardcore punk band, the Cro-Mags, back in the 80s in New York City. And he had probably been around the same area where I hung out in New York City, but I would have never hung out with him. And he would have never hung out with a banker, that's for sure. And um, he, you know, he had gotten sober quite a while back and he had started doing Ironman competitions. I think he's done nine fulls. Uh, uh, And so... You know, he challenged me to do a, an Ironman 70.3, and um, you know, I, I really like him. I think he's he's got a lot of great philosophies, and I just decided to take him up on it. So that was what happened around February of this year. So, so how long? So February, and then I think you did Chattanooga 70.3. So how how long did you actually give yourself to get in shape? I had just over 90 days. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 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 I, and I, I, yeah, and I knew it would be a challenge and I didn't know how much. And then on, yeah. And then on, of course, on top of that, then John challenged me to do it plant-based as well. That's what John does. So I had a few things going on in my mind, but I can be very obsessive. And also as an engineer, you know, sometimes we over-prepare <laughs> because, that's how we keep planes from flying out, falling out of the sky and bridges from breaking. So I've been accused of that before. So I took, I took it really seriously and I listened and, and tried to do everything my trainers told me. When you, when you got 90 days to do a half or 
what's the first steps in your process? You know, you have a very analytical mind. So when you kind of say, yes, I'm doing this, what, what happens next? And how do you kind of build the path to actually creating a place where you'll be ready and successful in the race? Yeah, well, first of all, John hooked me up with a trainer in the States and she trained me remotely, you know, via Garmin watch. And so again, all that tech was really new to me, but I kind of just trusted her to just do all my readings and find out. I had a local swim coach here in London. Um, I first kind of had to get my head around the whole thing. And I think my trainer, Samantha, she's like, Brian, you're the kind of person I need to kind of hold back Mm -hmm. because you're kind of the kind of guy that's going to want to overdo it. And so I, I tried to really honor that and tried not to, cause you know, when you're in the jujitsu or the boxing space, you kind of want to go so hard until you pass out. And I, I understood by learning about this sport that you really need to take time to build up that endurance. So yeah, I just tried to follow it to the letter, even when I wanted to do more. And then some days at the end, I wanted to do less because it, it got very difficult. So it's that whole keenness is the enemy thing. I think so in this case and just and then respecting it and trusting the process and then um, expecting your body will change. That's the other thing is just having faith in the process was a big deal for me and and then just taking the time to do it. So uh, I, I saw so much change happening in me physically, emotionally, you know, everything. It was it was quite a journey for me uh, and I got a, a completely new respect for endurance and of course you know, triathlon. So what, what, looking back, you know, what was the most challenging part of the journey? Was it, was it actually the physical training? Was it finding the time to do the training or was it, was it the mental side of it? Yes. So, you know, I'm, I, I work, we work pretty crazy hours here at London Real, but I've always set some time aside to, to do some physical activity. I had to now set more time aside. And then of course my family had to understand I was going to be disappearing on weekends for these, these big workouts. So that, that was something I had to kind of place there. You know, the, the mental side was really different because, you know, part of this challenge was me going back to New York city and me trying to make sense with some, some, some dark times I had there. And, and, and what I found is that when I would go for these long endurance pieces is that I would get very emotional, you know, and I've, I've had a lot of shows about connecting with the spiritual level. I've, been on ayahuasca ceremonies i've you know done meditation sessions and all that but you know something about these long sessions where you have to kind of dig deep to get there you know it was a very emotional journey and i would find myself crying crying in like you know kilometer 17 of my run you know and and that happened quite a lot in in the in in the training and i was really coming to terms with a lot of my past and uh it was i never expected that and and I would record a lot of vlogs after my runs and, you know, a lot of them are in the movie now and it's funny to watch myself. I'm just in these massive amounts of gratitude and these incredible perspectives I have about my life and the world and people in my life and, uh, you know, the limits we set on ourselves. So, yeah, it was really mind expanding, the whole process. Um, one, I looked through some of the little trailer clips you had for, for Iron Mind, which is coming out, and one of them was around your, your addiction or your, your past addiction and, and also bringing that into the Iron Man world and kind of seeing how this could become a very addictive behaviour and, and speculating that there's probably quite a few addictive uh, or past addicts in the Iron Man community. Maybe just talk us through a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. And so... 
you know, for me, I, I had gone to New York City after after college and got into this kind of banking party and lifestyle. And also it got into a point where I was I was very just kind of egotistic and just trying to do everything for me and making as much money for me. And I just kind of got in a real rut and got got into a drug scene and, you know, funny enough, got into a heroin scene and ended up overdosing a couple times in 2001 in New York City. And that pretty much took my life pretty far down, as you can imagine, and lost my job and my relationships and everything. And so it was this black hole of my past I had never talked about. And so, you know, John was kind of this way of me of talking about it because he had some in the past. And, you know, the Ironman 70.3 was almost a way I could kind of cleanse myself of this this horrible thing so I put all of that shame and energy into this race and you know it's interesting because I would meet some some Ironman athletes like John and Samantha you know have done a few fulls at least and sometimes I would joke like they seem like addicts they'd be like yeah, Brian, I, I got to go get my swim in, got to get my swim, got to get my swim in, you know, yeah, I, I got to go score a run later. And I'm like, you know, it's funny. I just kind of joke that, you know, sometimes you look like that. And when I was at the race in Chattanooga, I met a lot of people that were recovering. And, you know, the last part of the movie, I had this frank conversation with John. I said, John, you know, after I was done with my 70.3, John said, we're doing a full. That's what we're doing next. And and so I was like, John, I said, I totally appreciate this journey. And I have so much respect for people that can do a full Ironman and anyone who goes out and does this. But I said, are we, just a, are we addicted to the next challenge? And at some point, can we find some peace without the accomplishment? Mm-hmm. And John had an interesting, John said, no, John said, no. He said, it's always the next goal. That's how we improve ourselves. And so the, the movie ends with these kind of two different ways of, of looking at the world. And I don't know which one is right, um, but it's definitely something to see. And I would say Iron Man is, is definitely more um, better for me than heroin. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, but it, it's, it's a great question to kind of ask yourself, I think, when you're in these things. And so, um, yeah, the movie reflects on that a lot. Just going back to before, you were talking about how the long endurance sessions kind of allowed you to process in ways maybe you haven't before. It seems that once you kind of had an epiphany moment and you kind of transitioned into a new life, you've spent a lot of time in kind of that trying to understand a deeper self. Why do you think, what was the difference about endurance training that allowed you to, to go to a place that, you know, ayahuasca is a pretty extreme way to try to find yourself. Why do you think endurance training seemed to have maybe a more powerful effect? It's a really good question. You know, I, I've, I've gotten a, a fairly consistent meditation practice over the years. Again, had some ayahuasca ceremonies, had some things that really transcend. Um, and I, the last thing I expected was, you know, this, this endurance work to do the same. But I think there is some connection, again, with, with the body. I think the body grounds us in, in this finite existence. I think it's very easy for humans in this world to walk around and think we are our minds, we are our thoughts. But at the end of the day, we really are our bodies. If we don't feed them or keep them healthy, we literally are gone. And so for some way, reason, pushing through the pain and the stories I would tell myself, and I remember I would go out for the, my 22K run every Saturday, and you know, 5K in, I would start convincing myself that I, my, my nutrition was low, my knee was hurting, my, and, I was, and I would notice I was telling myself these excuses, and I would have to push through them, and I would get to the next level and get to the next level. And, and I found that the further I went in, the more my mind kind of opened up 
to maybe what was real. And when I pushed through these limitations I had previously put on myself, yeah, I kind of just went deeper into maybe this spiritual connection. And I think it just, I think it goes through the body somehow and I'm still trying to figure it out. But for me, the endurance work is just as important as plant medicines or some of this other mental work. It's one thing as well, is it? Like when we think of jujitsu and fighting sports, and, and a lot of other skill based sports, is, 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 is skill takes up all your thinking time. And, you know, I, I imagine I've never done, I'm, John and I are far from fighters. So, uh, <laughs> but, you know, like when we've never really done sports like that, our sport generally has been endurance sport. Uh, but in jujitsu, I imagine the combativeness of it, you've, you're thinking the whole time about what's actually happening. Whereas endurance sport, because the movement, fundamentally it's pretty basic and you spend a long time just kind of rhythmically doing this movement the, the the luxury is you get so much thinking time and because you're away from the world and often in nature there's this kind of allows there for that meditative state to kind of appear doesn't it yeah very much so you know i was listening to an interview recently with a guy named pat militech who was one of the early ufc fighters one of the kind of when it was called cage fighting back in the day mixed martial arts and mm. he started doing long distance running recently and he said he said, that is 10 times harder than fighting. And, it, and, and his interviewer said, what are you talking about? You get punched in the face. And he said, I have to be out alone with myself mm. for hours. He said, that's scary. And, and I, th I think that's true. I think when you're out there, first of all, you have to deal with your own BS to keep going. So you have to do that. And then you just have to be with yourself. And that can be one of the most uncomfortable places for people to be. And then you have to have those conversations with yourself. And I think that's where all that, that healing work happens. And I agree, when I'm fighting, it's like this guy's trying to choke me unconscious. This guy's trying to punch me in the face. You know, I'm trying to like not drop this 100 kilos on my back. But yeah, with this stuff, you know, in swimming particularly, because uh, you definitely can't have any audio there in a pool. And yeah, there's there's places where you're really with yourself and and uh, some people really are terrified of that. Um, but uh, I definitely got to where I really enjoyed it. And again, just had some moments where tears running down my face, people watching me go by thinking, what is wrong with that guy? <laughs> 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 um, and then that stopped. Interestingly, that stopped towards the end. I think I had processed uh, a lot. And again, I was, the race was almost a symbol of my failures from 2001. And so I was processing old ex-girlfriends and the girl that found me when I wasn't breathing and all the people I let down in New York. I was processing this while I was running. So it was a beautiful thing. I mean, the 70.3, it really symbolized a lot for me. And and um, on race day, I just, I had the benefit of all of that quote unquote pressure or support to really get me through. So for me, it wasn't a question of not finishing. I was just, there was so much at stake for me. But I also think there's a, there's a, there's a deeper message here, isn't there, is that, you know, so many people are afraid of revealing vulnerability um, and not really opening up to the inner dialogue that's really important in life. And, and fundamentally, this experience has allowed you to, to go there and actually realize that by allowing myself to go there, I can work through it and actually move on from it. Yeah, the funny thing is, is that everything we're in shame of and that we fear telling people, you know, we we always blow this out of proportion and think we'll be judged and yeah. and shamed. And, and this was really hard. And I, I, you know, I remember I sent an email out to my hundred fifty thousand people, and I just, you know, I, I had to go in on a Saturday, and I told my wife, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this, and she's like, just go big. And I just went straight out and just told them everything. And you know, 
I didn't realize how much this secret was holding me back, you know, and I'm a guy who's does a lot of stuff and, you know, does a lot of work on myself anyways, but it was still making me play small somehow. And the amount of support I got from people when you, when you share a vulnerability, I mean, everyone is vulnerable. All of us humans have shameful pasts and fears and demons and dark secrets. When you share one, everyone actually wants to be on your team there. They're like, Hey, I'm so happy you said that because I have this, 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 and this. And so there's so much strength in this. And that's, that's ultimately kind of the message we want to get out there is that you need to talk about these things because it'll take you forward to the next level. And, you know, I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad I told everyone about this. And now I have strength. I'm not trying to worry that someone's going to find out. Now it's like I own it and now I can use it. And and the, the other thing I realized is this, this deep darkness, this total depression and pain I had in New York in 2001, which I thought would be a pointless thing, is actually one of my greatest gifts because now I can use it as a tool to like help other people. So it's amazing how that turned out. Yeah, and I think the thing that's really important is that, A, as you say, you open, you, you remove loneliness because you realize you're not alone, and, and so it, it kind of opens up to acceptance. But I think the other thing as well, it creates deeper connection, doesn't it? Because the more we can show the real self, the more we actually get to connect with the real version of other people. Like, I'm sure you opening up honestly means, you know, you actually are having better relationships with those people around you because then they're willing to show a higher level of themselves in, in bad areas as well as good. Yeah, very much so. I mean, and especially these days, you know, in the, in the days of the Instagram feed and the, and the Facebook feed, it's like all we see is the best versions of people's lives. And so I think um, it's even harder now because everyone feels kind of weird, like this fear of missing out or I, everyone's life looks more amazing than yours. And so when you really come down with this vulnerability and talk about that, uh, it it really gets connection with people. And I I tell all my students and everybody that vulnerability is actually your greatest tool. It's a great way to connect. If you look at great TED Talks, there's vulnerability oftentimes in this first five minutes. Some of our great leaders, when they show vulnerability, that's how they get us to follow them. So it's definitely a tool people need to embrace. And you know, no, no secret is as shameful or as horrible as you think. Um, and it is affecting you. You know, we all think it's not, we think, no, no, I don't think about that anymore. It's buried, but it actually behave, it affects the way you behave every day, your relationships, the way you treat people, everything. So if everybody could kind of clear that out, I think, I think this would be a different world. So, so along the journey, you you tried. It looked like you tried to uncover, you know, as many stones as you could. I saw a little clip. You went off to see Sporty Doc, good old uh, Tamsin Lewis. Lewis. Um, oh yeah, and, you know her, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, you did great. some cry- cryotherapy. Um, obviously, you were getting advice around um, the, the vegan diet and how to sort of implement that. What were some of the, you know, perhaps more surprising things that you found out, or the things that you found most beneficial? Yeah. So first of all, plant-based, I mean, I had never really gone more than a day, uh, plant-based. So, you know, that was a change also to get my wife to cook. Um, at first it's, at first it's kind of tricky and difficult and it, it seems like a problem. Also, I think a big mistake people make when they go plant-based is they don't eat enough. And I also didn't realize how much I would need to eat because of the volume of training. I also didn't expect the volume of training. I mean, I was training, you know, every day, uh, which I guess is kind of normal, but uh, I didn't know I would. And then obviously sometimes with these bricks and, you know, which are multiple sessions in the day. And so I was eating a lot more, 
um, I had to just, I just was constantly eating and, mm-hmm. and especially on this plant-based diet, it wasn't that many concentrated calories. So I was getting used to eating all the time. I did have a tough time about, uh, maybe six weeks in or eight weeks in where I was feeling really run down. And then I went and got some normal tech and some cryo and got some B12, which I think helped from Tamsin, which was good and just checked my blood. So that was really good. The, the sleep important. Um, and you know, again, trying to listen to my body, I really tried to stick to the schedule, but there were a couple times where I just would pass on the training and I would feel guilty. And, and I must say the, I struggled with the, the bike. The bike was my, my Achilles heel, uh, those static sessions in the gym. I mean, I had Tim Don on as a guest and he was like, Oh, Brian, use this app on your phone and you can race other people. And I got into the gym and I was like, I still find this really difficult. So, um, <laughs> You know, I guess everybody has their Achilles heel event. Swimming, something I thought I would really not like. You know, funny enough, guys, it's the one thing when I mention this to people, they always say, oh, I couldn't do the swim. Yeah. You know, which I, I always look at them and say, like, you know, what are you, you're just telling yourself a story, really. Um, but a lot of people have this weird phobia thing, especially when they see how hectic it can be sometimes in the start of races. But I actually ended up loving the swim part. I just loved the, the solitude and the technique. And I really fell in love with that. And I really did fall in love with cycling outdoors again. I felt like a kid. So I really enjoyed that part. Um, and the running too, but the indoor training, that was really hard. <laughs> so just being based in London, you know, cause obviously it's a little bit difficult or, or how difficult is it to kind of do the sport? <laughs> We've heard the sirens in the background. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I like, mean, cause it's another kind of hurdle, yeah. isn't it? It is. I mean, it, look, it was snowing in the beginning, so that was tricky sometimes. The run could even be a little tricky because it was slick. Cycling, very hard to do at that point. Also, I was just, my feet were just freezing into like what felt like blocks of ice when I was trying to cycle. Obviously, it rains a lot. Not a lot of great places to cycle here. There's like a park you can go around 50 times, which isn't <laughs> a great thing. So that that was hard. Um, I only got a few distance cycles in, which was a bit of a struggle. Weather, not the best. I mean, it's obviously, it's much nicer to cycle when it's sunny out. Um, so yeah, that made it hard. And then indoor swimming, I had to do some outdoor swimming in 50 meter pools to try to get some length. And again, that could be, uh, that's easier to do, but yeah, not the best city for that. I'm guessing New York is probably tricky. Mm. So yeah, I, I would have been nice to be in a place like Boulder or somewhere where there were these nice places to go. So yeah, that was hard. That was hard. So tell us a bit about your race. You know, I guess firstly, your, your expectations going in, were you going out there to go as fast as you possibly could, or was it a more case of, I just want to complete this bloody thing? Um, and, and just a little bit about the experience, whether you actually did enjoy it. Yeah, so, I mean, this whole time I got a, a camera crew on me, so it's like, it's kind of weird and kind of good, you know, it's, it's kind of good, but like, you know, I got four or five guys that are following me around the world to New York, here, to training, in the locker room, so, and I, I'm posting vlogs every day and my workouts, and so, in some ways, it's really good, because you're being held accountable, but in some ways, it's it's very strange, and so, you know, we flew out to Chattanooga to do this race, uh, and you know, again, getting, getting excited for it. Um, also, you know, getting concerned about it, not sure what to expect. I never have been in an endurance race before. 
um, there was, it was, it became really hot. I had never trained in the heat in London and, uh, I didn't realize what that would be like. Everything was cold here or very cool. So coming up to the race, I, I asked about times to Samantha Murphy, my coach, and, um, she said, just don't worry about it. I don't want to talk about times. I don't want you thinking about times, which was probably good because some of the people were asking me and she said, look, I just want you to finish it and finish it the best you can, which I think was good advice. I did ask her if I could beat John Joseph and she kind of <laughs> laughed at me. I asked her, how much can I pay her to beat John Joseph? She said, <laughs> she said, uh, it's in the movie. She said, don't worry about it. But she said, remember when you go to skip a training day, he won't be skipping a training day. So, um, so that's kind of the pressure it was or lack of in my mind. I probably was thinking around six and change, like six and a half was probably in my head from something she said. But again, I just wanted to finish and I wanted not to walk. Those were my promises to myself. So, and, and, and again, that, I got a camera crew on me, so I can't, like, there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and so, how, yeah. Did, how did it unfold in terms of uh, how, how you actually performed, um, whether you held it together all the way? Uh, was it harder, easier? What, what were your sort of feelings after the race? Yeah. So, um, uh, I was remarkably calm the, the week of, and maybe it's because of the training or maybe because at that point it's inevitable. It's like you're going to the gallows. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's no point in being excited about it. It was hot. So it was pushing 90 degrees that day, uh, which is Fahrenheit. So it's near 30, I guess, yeah. Celsius or something. So that was a concern and my coaches were concerned. And so it was a lot, it was, I was being told, you know, what to do hydration wise, all that stuff. Um, the energy was amazing. So I was just so impressed with the volunteers and just how much fun it was. You know, the police are literally shutting down roads. I felt like a celebrity, you know, in a weird way. And so the vibe was great. Um, it is like there's a lot of things happening and, you know, there's a lot of checkpoints and you got to set this up and do this. So that can definitely be hectic if you haven't done it before. But I just kind of trusted the process. And once actually once I got the swim started I felt much better because I could actually do something before that you're just waiting waiting worrying and so once I got in there once I got in the swim I, you know I got bumped around a little bit but once I found my line it was good I got into a good mental zone um, I got on the bike and um, I just I, I got on the bike and I just thought you know what I'm just gonna leave it on here I'm just gonna put everything in there and I had my best cycle ever just under three hours for the the 56 miles and I just felt really strong. I thought I might pay for it on the run. I did pay for it on the run. Um, my, my hamstrings cramped up and then I had chugged like three liters of fluid and my stomach really started to hurt. And the run was just a death march. It was really a death march. And again, you see these young fit 25 year old guys with six packs, you know, on the side crying and this 58 year old grandma trudging by, you know, it's amazing. It's, it's so mental that game and you get so much respect for the people that are pushing through and everyone's trying to have fun. And I remember there was some adults trying to high five me and I was in such a bad mood. I was just like, get out of my way. <sighs> and then there was, then there was some kid in a wheelchair that had showed up to support us. And I was like, okay, you all are getting high fives. And so <laughs> it, was, uh, it was, the vibe was amazing. And, and, uh, and yeah, the race was just epic. And, uh, but it was, it was hard. I, I, I told people, I would love to tell you I had this great, emotional uh you know epiphany on the run but it was it was hard <laughs> mm. but you know cross crossing the line of course incredible and then you know five minutes later it's like kind of you're back out of the bubble you know mm. it's almost like an ayahuasca experience you're in there and there's something beautiful 
even though it's painful about being in this state. And then when you're done, you're kind of back to reality. Yeah, but yeah, it was a good day. You, you lead a very public life, um, you know, with your business and you know what you do and your audience and stuff. Uh, what do you think brought to the experience that maybe was hard for you because it is such a public experience you're having around this? Yeah, I think for me, you know, obviously there was there was pressure to do it. So, I mean, I I look at that as as a benefit, but obviously I. I just felt like I really couldn't let people down. So that just amped things up, you know, very high. Um, I also, I had bad days and I just decided to be honest, but there are some nasty vlogs I have out there where I'm swearing and like you can really just see a, a bad side of me. And so I just kind of had to ask my audience to kind of accept that stuff. And I think that's the truth about these races. I think a lot of people see the finishing photos and they see the accomplishments of people that do triathlon, but you know, that pushing through those really hard times, I think is where a lot of that growth happens and I had to do it publicly. Um, so that, that was kind of hard, but other than that, I, I think it was a benefit having that pressure of people behind me, mm. uh, to get me through that hard times. Cause if no one was watching, yeah, it would have been easier to, to, you know, whatever mm. cut corners, but I just couldn't. So. Yeah. so tell us a little bit about the Iron Mind documentary. And if guys, if you are in London, um, there is the, the world premiere this Friday night, you can go to londonreal.tv and click under movies and you can find the, the trailers and how to get tickets and what have you. But tell us um, a, a little bit about it. And also for people elsewhere in the world, you know, what, how are you sort of going to be releasing it to, for people to be able to watch this? Yeah, so you know, we we decided to to film all of this. Uh, we went to New York City, and uh, you know, John challenged me to this, and you know, took me through some training in New York, and uh, challenged me to do it on the plant based diet. And we were going to make a film out of it, but it was happening in real time, and I was training here, and we were going to go to Chattanooga. That we decided to start releasing it as a weekly series. So we did eleven weekly videos all the way up to the end of the race. And now we've created a, a feature-length documentary film called Iron Mind that'll premiere here in London on Friday, and it's uh, yeah, it's just the entire journey in in a really a completely different looking at it in a different way, and really from also this kind of you know spiritual side and emotional side, and you know John had a you know a tough history growing up on the streets, sexual abuse, crack addiction, you know that he brings to the story, and he's found peace through Iron Mind, Iron Man, really. And I have this kind of Wall Street banker greed, <laughs> heroin addiction, yeah. and now broadcasting thing that I bring to it. I'm about 10 years younger than John, and I'm a total newbie to the sport, you know, and I've only done a, a, a half. And so we each bring our own ideas to it and try to kind of answer those spiritual questions about what this teaches about ourself and, you know, what what is this all about and what can we learn through through these endurance events? So, yeah, that's what the movie's all about. And uh, it's uh, it's been fascinating making it. I have watched this movie probably 200 times in a row and I'm tired of it now. Uh, but now put on the face on the Friday final. night. <laughs> yeah, we're doing the final sound grade and movie grade. But um, I'm really proud of it. It's really emotional. And yeah, uh, for me. It, it's it's a it's it's perfect way for me to finally come out with all this darkness and the secrets, and then hopefully give a little bit of a light in to this sport. At least the way it looks from me is kind of a newbie, and mm. I constantly tell people to go ahead and and try that seventy point three. And I I think you know people would be surprised 
what they would learn about themselves if they just decided to to just have an open mind and say, you know what, I'm not going to say I can't do this and to go in and try some of the training because, you know, I, I just think it's accessible to so many people who who might not think it is. And it, it's an incredible journey. So, yeah, so, that's um, my message. In, in terms of um, what next for you, you know, you said you had discussions with John post-race and he's saying, got to do an Ironman. Um, <laughs> are, are you going to stick around with your training? Are you going to do other events? Or you kind of tick that one off and, you, and you're going to move on to another challenge? You know, uh, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, you, you really, you get, you get addicted to the training and the training does so many things for you. You know, I, I, to be honest, I miss it. I really miss it. I miss having to do these things every day and to swim three times a week. And, you know, cause it just keeps you honest and it just gives you all of those things. I think that human body needs. And so I found right after the race, I decided to stay plant-based. I could have had a beer and a steak and I just didn't cause I was like, I feel great. And when I got back to London, I, I, I you know, I ran in a half marathon and then the next weekend I ran 30 K and then the next weekend I actually just was like, I'm 12 K from a marathon and I just ran it on my own on like Strava. And so, because I, 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 I definitely really enjoyed the training. So I was really liking that. And then John had a full in November in Florida, I think one of the races that he had to DNF. So he's going back for some payback. And I was talking to my trainer and I was like, maybe I can make that. And she's like, okay, but the full, she's like, the full is not twice as hard as a half she said it's a lot harder mm. and so she said you know you're gonna have to you know the bike she's like you're gonna have to really put in some serious sessions here and you know do you have the time and she asked me all these questions and and so we we concluded i wasn't gonna do this full in november and so for me i'm still swimming i'm still running i'm still cycling but i don't have another race prepared mm. but i can't imagine myself leaving this world without trying the full <laughs> so to be continued but i also know every year i get older so uh it's it's kind of on the horizon it's not happening this year and i'm sure john's going to keep at me uh to do that and again that that's again a completely d- different challenge that you know i I ran that marathon here in London and, and the last 10K, I thought there's no way I can do this after a swim and a bike. <laughs> I was like, there's no way. Yeah. It's stupid. It's stupid. But, um, but then again, I also know that I'm the easiest one to fool in my brain. So um, I'm sure with the right training and, and you know, I, I see you guys do it. So mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm sure if taken seriously with some serious training, it's something I'd like to try. So that's kind of where I'm at with my relationship with, with Iron Man. Well, I, I, you know, like, big ups to you because I think, a, you know, John has this John Newsom three-year plan, which he definitely <laughs> didn't stick to. But um, I think, you know, obviously you're using your reach to inspire others to, to go through similar experiences. It may not necessarily be triathlon, but it's opening up to something that maybe you didn't think was possible and kind of going down a journey that offers a lot of life lessons that are really powerful to you. And, and you know, you obviously have a lot of reach. Uh, and so with your movie and, and your experience that you've shared through your journey, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, to me, real inspiration is when you see people like you kind of do something that they didn't think they could do, because then it makes me think, well, maybe I could do that. And I'm sure a lot of people in your world have been opened up to this idea of maybe I can do this. And as you just shared with your experience, look what that opened you up to and imagine how many more people you can impact through that. Yeah, very much so. We had people following us all along and there were people pushing themselves to do you know, a local triathlon and pushing themselves to run a 5k. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how you doing one thing can inspire someone to do something else. And even John Joseph said, he's like, I watched your videos and, 
I was on tour. I was, you know, out till four in the morning at a gig and I saw your video and I trained the next day. And yeah. so, cool. yeah, it's, yeah, it's cool how that stuff can happen. And, and again, I, I also now have this amazing, uh, ability to run long distances and swim and bike. And I have like a new piece in my arsenal when it comes to my physicality. So I think I'll always have this with me. I was on vacation in France and I looked at a lake and I was like, honey, I'm swimming across this damn lake. And it was 1.8 kilometers and I, and I, and I swam over and then I swam back. I mean, I would have never yeah. tried that at 47 years old if I hadn't had this experience. But now I just I feel more powerful knowing I can do these things. So it's so many knock on benefits. Awesome. Okay, guys, if you want to check out a little bit more, um, go to Iron, uh, LondonReal.tv. You can go to, and then click on the movies. You can find out about Iron Mind, uh, along with all of the other interviews that Brian's got up there. So thanks very much for your time, Brian. Appreciate it. Everybody saw. Now, thanks, guys. Really appreciate what you do, and uh, thank you so much for the conversation. It was good stuff. Interesting stuff, isn't it? Yeah, no, you were loving it. I could see you just sitting there lapping it all up and getting oh, you nice know me. And I'm always, I'm it. always into the deep stuff. Yeah. And uh, actually, I'm going to put, I'm going to, actually, I'm going to put something. I'm going to put my latest podcast at the end of the show after they've done the music because I did a podcast recently, which was very confrontational, but I've had heaps of feedback on it, mm-hmm. and I think it's a kind of podcast which I think a lot of our audience may need to listen to. So I'm actually going to put it on. After our show, it's it's deep and it's kind of how we roll. Um, because I do, you know, if we listen to the show, we know that John loves the athletic. Yeah. I love I love the deeper. Um, and there's a kind of a merging in between. But um, I really like what Brian was talking about because uh, do you know much about ayahuasca? No. So ayahuasca is basically a drug um, that you go and you take with monks in like Peru and stuff like that. And it's a very much a, a ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty extreme, um, but it's kind of meant to be quite mind expanding and quite confrontational uh, and so for him to put this training on par with something like ayahuasca mm. is pretty phenomenal really um, and so there were some pretty cool insights and, and I did love that kind of thing about allowing ourselves to open up to vulnerability is actually a powerful thing and the sport gave him that which is a really cool thing to think about so uh, you can check out Brian's work at um, London real.tv and uh, and also if you are in London go check out the documentary and, and I'm sure you'll be able to see it outside of that soon but mm. if you are check it out this week and uh, I will put my podcast after the end music this week show if you want to listen to that because it is quite confrontational around that kind of stuff John Wanger of the Week just a real quick one this week. So the person who did the most run time on the male side was Ben Colborough. He did uh, 12 hours and 27 minutes. And the female was 8 hours and 24 minutes by Tony Hodge, Kiwi living in Australia. John, my question for you is, what's the longest you've ran in a week? The most I've run? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I don't think I've ever done a 100k week. I've done a few 100k weeks, but no, no, probably nothing above that. No. And I've never actually ran a lot in a week, mm. you know what I mean? Like, mm. Partly because of the group work that I do. Okay, John, let's talk about Extreme Endurance. It's time for a sponsor. It is Extreme Endurance. So I ran a 10K at the weekend. We'll talk a little bit about that later on, but I've got to give Extreme Endurance a plug for that because it's just such a night and day uh, how your legs can feel after racing. It was a very, very hard 10K. It was up and down. Uh, and in the past, I'd be 
beaten up for days after that but I've been taking the extreme endurance all week and uh, came out of it still fatigued the next day obviously but just the muscular soreness is significantly less uh, so check it out also just you know I know I often like to ask athletes what they their nutrition was the day before uh, you know the morning of the race and I was also cranking out the fuel five um, in the morning race so I chowed down a, an M's power cookie uh, had my extreme endurance and also had the fuel five and the reason for that is just trying to get a bit more carbohydrate into the system but not in a solid food format especially for a running race um, you know you, you, it's not like you've got that time before in the swim to just be slowly absorbing uh, a lot of your food um, you know you're pretty much straight into it and if you've got too much in your stomach chugging around um, it may well come back on you so that was my pre-race performance uh, pre-race nutrition was a good uh, serving of the fuel five extreme endurance plus an M's power cookie and uh, and it worked very very well didn't have that muscular fatigue afterwards so anybody got any races coming up uh, get on it uh, especially on the running side of things less muscular soreness improves your performance jobs are good and it's well priced use the promo code IMTalk20 Okay, John, uh, we don't really have questions and answers, so what so we're going to do is... So it's going to be a long show, so we don't need any. No, we don't need any, so let's just talk about some Patreon. We've got a new patron, John. We have. Um, Michael Backer, would you say Backer? I'm going to do the airport on this one, because... <laughs> B-A-K-K-E-R, yeah, thanks, Backer. So. He lives in Anchorage, Alaska with his wife. Yeah, Backer. Um, he's a physician assistant in the Public Health Service. Multisport is a huge passion of mine, and your show has been wonderful by passing on training advice, updates on races slash pros, and keeping me motivated. Hopefully someday we'll make it to New Zealand. Hopefully we'll make it to Alaska one day as well. I'd love to go there. Looks like an amazing place. Um, Next up he's got the Super Frog 70.3 which I think might be this weekend where he's hoping to maybe get one of the Kona military slots. Oh nice work. Go you good thing. Yeah. So Michael Backer, what are you thinking Bevan? Well, I thought Tom Petty don't back down. Michael, (laughs) don't back down Backer. Don't back down Backer. Because I won't back down. No I won't back down. I'll leave you out there with Tom Petty, that's okay. Oh, do you like Tom Petty? It's pretty easy listening. B- B98. What was B98? Is it easy listening? <laughs> easy, easy listening. I think it was I98, B98, easy listening. Easy listening. Tom Petty, he's got some great songs. <laughs> and you stand me up to the gates of hell, but I won't back down. So yeah, but he, don't back down or won't back down? Uh, don't back down. I'm going to say don't back down. Don't back I probably got the words wrong, but, down. but don't back down, Becker. Don't back down, back That's a sensational one. There you go. Tom Petty. Tom Petty is a bit easy listening, but he also stood for something. Did he? What did he stand for? I, that, you know, like he's, he, he was kind of like fight the man, mm-hmm. you know, um, don't back down. You know, he, there was always a deeper meaning to his words. Mm-hmm. Do you know I'm getting old, John? Yeah, I do. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> do you know how I know I'm getting old? Because I may have said this last week, but... The big concert in New Zealand right now is pink. Has Belinda gone yep. up? Yeah, she's been up. She said, oh, very impressive. Very, very impressive. That's what everyone's saying. And pink is the ticket in New Zealand right now. Well, I didn't buy my t- pink ticket, John. Do you know who I bought? Phil Collins. That's right, mate. <laughs> he told us last week. Exactly. <laughs> so it shows that I'm getting older. Anyway, John, uh, if you want to be a patron of the show, go to www.imtalk.me and you just go to our link to being a patron. You can donate. Uh, there's different levels and the levels represent um, what you give to us but also what you get back from us and also more entries to our Kona draw every couple of years. Also, ult- ultimately, what you're doing is supporting the show and if this is a big part of your triathlon week, we really appreciate the support you can give us. So once again, www.imtalk.me. John, what are the sponsors? 
Extreme Endurance. Your Lactic Buffer. Tanya Pora. Your Holiday Extreme. And our patrons. And you can be a legend. John, you've got Beth Goods here. What's this about? Oh, that, no, nothing there. No. Save that one. Save that one? Yeah. Save that one. She's over in Tanya Pora Training, so we're going to... See if we can line up an interview with the McKenzie's possibly in the next few weeks. Okay. If you want to email us, I'm talkpodcast at gmail.com. You can also get the show email to you. Just go to our website. It's on there. John, your goss. Um, the Vuelta's on at the moment. So if you don't know what the Vuelta is, it's a tour of Spain. And we had a Kiwi Hope, and he's bombed out, which has made my viewing a lot less interesting in the last couple Who of days. Who was the Kiwi Hope? George Bennett. And he was right up there, and then hit the mountains, and he hasn't performed as we were quite hoping. Well, the, so that's the, the, the guy Bevan did all right in London. Or in the UK? He did. He got let down by his team in the team time trial. Otherwise, he might have had a Kiwi winner of that race. Oh, really? Was that the problem, was it? Yeah, largely. It was the team time trial. Because he was leading for a lot of it, wasn't he? He was. So it's only a, Is it's it a good field? Uh, it, it's, a good, it's a good field. Got plenty of pro, pro tour teams. Um, but so Paddy Bevan, a Kiwi guy, was leading Tour of Britain. It's only a six or seven day tour. Uh, they had lots of big names, but you never know. Some of them are from training. Because the world UCI World Champs this year is a very monstrous course and so a lot of people are taking that pretty seriously it's uh, very very hilly in Innsbruck I think it is uh, so Bevan uh, so that's a bit of TV viewing for me and what else did a 10k running race yeah, the weekend right. so that was Governor's Bay to Littleton which is 10k's of hills um, but it does actually give you a good indication of what your 10k time is if you're a good hill runner because you have a net descent so you lose about 30 metres and if you sm- Bank the, the downhills, you can gain back all the, the, the pace that you've lost on and the uphills. And destroy your legs. Yes, but extreme endurance didn't destroy my legs too badly. Mm-hmm. So I had a little, and it's a handicap race, and so they start the slowest, all the old crusties first, and then, you know, so uh, they got about 30 minutes head start on me, and I've got, you know, faster runners behind me trying to mow me down. I only got mowed down by one person in the, in the finishing straight, which was good, and passed loads and loads of people. Had a little duel out there, Bevan. Here we go. Did you get sword out? So, uh, <laughs> did you imagine no? if you did? <laughs> did you see that motorcyclist on the news last night? Yes, I did. What a cock. Yeah. <laughs> what a, if you don't know what we're talking about, the MotoGP, yes. the, the top end the motorbike races, Guy's racing guy, and he goes up next to him and grabs his brake lever and just gives him a little, gives a little nudge. What a, what a! What I can't a believe you only got two race banned. You should be banned for life. I agree. Anyhow, but, so take off in this race. We had about six or seven in our group. We had one of your runners, Bevan, apparently in my group. Yep. And uh, I thought he's he's not going to handle this. He's not going to handle us. We're going to take him down. Oh, really? did win my duathlon the week before, so I think it must be okay. But it ended up being a bit of a duel between me and this young fella. He's only oh, fif- the, he's no, oh. no, this 15 year old fella. And oh, I'm really? thinking, bloody hell. And I think I bet he's going to be pretty fast. Uh, and I knew the name. His father was actually a New Zealand cricketer. Who's Jeff Allard. Jeff Allard. Yeah, he used to come to the gym sometimes. Left, left armour. He, yep. he got the. Most wickets in one of the World Cups, the World Cup in New Zealand. He was a star. Tall guy, yeah. Tall guy, yeah. Anyway, his son was, was in there racing. I thought, I knew he was a good runner. I thought, this kid is going to take off at the beginning and he's going to spank Because he doesn't it. have any life experience. Yeah, and if I've, got, uh, if I've got good legs, I'll see if I can catch him up. Sure enough, it's an uphill start. I get gassed on the first hill. Everybody in my group takes off. It's straight uphill, you know, probably 10% for the first, you know, a couple of hundred metres. Then you've got a bit of flat, and then you got into your next climb. And so he was putting... So patient Newsom just goes, let uh, them make their mistakes. He was putting 30 metres into me on each of the climbs. You've got several 
fairly decent sized climbs yep. and then I was just mowing them down on the uh, the downhills and catching them up and I was I gave him a few tips I said mate you gotta you gotta lean forward when you when yeah. you're going downhill yeah. because it was actually helping me because we dropped everybody else and having somebody else to run with was was quite good and so he'd take off on the uphills I'd catch him up on the downhills about the same on the flat but then I managed to pull away at the end so I was quite uh, happy with that well no I wouldn't say I pulled away Did I think I beat him by about one or two it? seconds oh okay <laughs> <laughs> and the person who passed me in the finishing straight I thought that little shit's going to come around me in the finishing <laughs> straight I could hear him coming but it was somebody who'd, who'd run about two minutes quicker from one of the previous waves so it was good I ran 35.09 I think oh that's where you uh, want to be isn't it and I was my expectations were pretty low so I was uh, I was quite happy with that not my fastest but good just be running feeling like you're running and you're putting out your best performance and the cool thing was I had a photographer out there and they got the gold shot of me just like that that side on shot fantastic knee drive pushing uh, off up in the air and you just go do you know if you if you go on Google John here's, here's, a, here's a good one for you go on Google mm-hmm. look up running technique mm-hmm. technique someone's stolen your photo just go on Google look up running technique and then go images and look who pops up on there Wait, it's going to be a bit of work for me right now. You go down a few, a little bit here. Go down, 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 down. Oh, it's not here anymore. Ah. Oh. You, yours, it was one of your epic camp photos. I reckon I know which one it'll be. It was John Alice took it. It was in France. It was an uphill run, running race we did. Yeah, and it was side on, and you do have great technique in the photo. Yeah. And it used to be one of the top photos on Google if you did a Google search for running technique. You can't have clicked on it enough times. No, I, I used to click on it every day too, so I'm not quite <laughs> sure what's happened here because... Um, but yeah oh there you go so what, what, have, what have you got what other goss uh, so the wife was away wife was away for the weekend so <laughs> the cool thing is so she goes away for the weekend she comes back on Sunday night quite you know not late late but she, she was home I think about 9.45 at night pretty tired had pretty shitty sleep up there and uh, but our kids were in bed kids were well in bed they were all asleep and uh, so we go to sleep but a bit later than usual maybe 10.30 something like that and I kind of, I woke up in a little bit of a haze in the middle of the night and she was at the door just walking out and Felicity had been had come into the room and uh, and I didn't wake up until right at the end but she said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy and I, I didn't respond whatsoever <laughs> and then she looked over and she goes, oh, Mummy, you're back. Okay, Mummy, uh, I've just vomited all over my bed. Oh, really? <laughs> and so I slept through, the, didn't sleep through the whole thing but it, the, the, she was she was out of the room by the time I got up so I was... Uh, Dodged a bullet there. Nothing worse than cleaning up your kids' vomit. Bloody hell. Well, also neglecting your kids. Yeah. <laughs> when they walk into your room calling your name out. Yeah. Bevan, what's happening in your world? We went to Hamlet last week. Joe and right. I had a romantic few days in Hamlet. It was yeah. pretty good. We actually, we, we got a massage at Hamlet. Right. And I'm not sure if you know this guy. He used to be Alison Rowe's husband. Not ringing any bells. No, but he was pretty. He was pretty thorough. So he used to be Alison Rose's husband. He said my ex-wife used to be. We were talking about because we, we said, oh, because he, he must have asked if we ran or something. Because we got two messages at the same time. Mm-hmm. So Joe had him, and yeah. I had the girl, which is a bit odd, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, on the other way around. <laughs> but um, so some of the men was rubbing my wife down next to yeah. me. It was a bit weird. Um, so, um, and he just asked. He said, "What are you doing?" And Joe said, oh, "I do a bit of running and stuff," and he, and, and he just lightly dropped. Oh, my, my ex-wife was a world record holder in the marathon. <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay, well, there you go. Alison Rowe was a very fast runner from New Zealand. And she won New York, didn't she? Uh, or did she win Boston? Boston, I think. Because Rod Dixon well, won New York. Yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah. But she was also a very good one of New Zealand's first ever female triathletes as well. She, she was, was, she was, was decent, good. wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, she was good. Yeah. Mm. Did she win much? I believe so. Yep. Um, so anyway, he, 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 so I was just thinking, I wonder if John knows him. So, uh, so we went to him. Was, you know what? 
It's good to go away for a few days with your wife. It is, yeah. You know, just a bit of romantic time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Didn't go to the pools at all, John. Yep. Because we've got a room for spa. Nice. So I was like, why go to the pools when you use the spa? Because <laughs> nice. the pools are the thing where you go to the pools. So Hamner's an alpine, tiny little alpine village, beautiful place. So if you come to New Zealand, you're coming towards Christchurch, highly recommend it. And it's great because it's only an hour and a half away, so mm. it's really easy to get there. Um, they've got these amazing hot pools, and they've really spent a lot of money on them in the last years. Mm. But you pay like 25 bucks to go to the mm. pools. And you normally go there and what, spend half an hour and think you had enough? A little bit more. Yep. If you've got kids and it's during the day, it's different. Mm-hmm. So we're like, bugger this. We've got a spa bath. So nice. we just did spa baths. So that was kind of cool. I didn't watch the Warriors. I did, disappointingly. <laughs> did you? Yeah. So it's our rugby league team there. Gone ski. What happened? It was just, 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 it was a hard watch. They started off with a hiss and a roar, got two tries. I even let Thomas stay up to watch it. And uh, we're going, this is game on. And then they just got mutilated. Did you end up flicking over to the All Blacks? I was doing that a little bit, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, that's about the extent of it, John. Just uh, this week, just living life. Excellent. Life in the fast lane. Okay, let's wrap it up. Okay. I, I will put my other podcast on. So if you want to listen to a little bit of a confronting podcast, which I think we actually had value to a lot of Ironman athletes, um, just hang around for another few seconds and you can listen to that. Anyway, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm in dope. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. It's amazing how, how powerful questions can be in your life. Like it really is, isn't it? Like um, I actually had a funny experience the other day. I was at, at the gym and we've got this young reception girl who's this really lovely, bubbly, um, fun, you know, young reception girl at the gym. And uh, she, you kind of walk in and she, she kind of lights up a room. And, and, and I think a reception, that's kind of one of the biggest roles of a reception person, isn't it? It's that kind of as you walk in the room – they're happy that you're here and she has this ability to do this for pretty much all the members who come into the gym and the other day I taught a class and I think I was coming down from my class afterwards and I walked in and I could just see that she was not in a happy place and uh, there was just some staffing problems that was on her mind but you know you could kind of see that she wasn't the version of herself that we're all so used to seeing and I kind of went to that place of reflective listening to kind of help her process stuff. And, and then I kind of just said, oh, can I give you some advice? And I started giving her some advice on the situation after I felt I'd done some good listening so she knew I knew her situation. And as I walked away from it, it was kind of like, she didn't really need my advice. You know what I mean? Like in that moment, she probably needed some emotional support. And ultimately, if I was trying to guide her in any way, I probably just should have asked her some questions. And why is that? Well, I gave her some advice and she might have taken a little bit on board. But the biggest change comes when people ask us questions because we kind of have to find our own answers. And maybe with the advice that I wanted to give her, maybe I could have used questions to help navigate her to a place where she would have found the answers and maybe not even the answers that I thought were the solutions just the answers that would help her through the situation and it was just one of those moments where as I walked back to my car afterwards I thought oh, okay well how would I do this better next time because I kind of love this kind of communication thing that we do but that's what questions have the power to do don't they like you know like right now if I just were to throw some I'm just going to pick some random questions out of the air and I'm going to throw them at you right now 
Uh, here's, here's a question. Um, how happy are you, are you in your life right now? And if you could change one thing to make you happier, what would that be? How happy are you in your life right now? And if you could make change one thing to make you happier, what would that be? Hmm. Here's another question. Um, what is the one behavior that would have the biggest impact on your life if you could consistently stay in that behavior? What is the one behavior that would have the biggest impact on your life if you could consistently stay in that behavior? I'll throw one. I'm just kind of pulling these questions out of out of random. But uh, what's another one? Um, what do you think people say about you when you are not around? And what would you want to hear people say about you when you are not around? Now, I'm I'm not quite sure of your experience right now because obviously I'm just talking to my microphone in my office here right now, but. Um, I'm sure those three questions, I can't remember them. What was the first one? I can't remember what the questions were. I'm going to pause. I'm going to come back. I can't even remember my questions. That's how sharp I am. I'm going to pause. I'm going to come back. I did have to pause. And the questions, obviously, you just heard them say something. Come if you do, you really need to repeat them. But one was the, what's the one, how happy are you? And what's the one thing you could change? The second one was this kind of idea of um, what's the one behavior that would make the biggest difference if you consistently said in it? And then lastly, that kind of perception of how the world sees you. Now you can see by me just throwing those questions out at you just there and then, they make you think, don't they? Like they really do make you think. Even I just kind of thinking, you know, like, um, what's you know, like I think I'm pretty happy. But what would what would make me happier? Well, uh, maybe a bit more creativity in my life. Um, I work maybe a little bit too much at times, so maybe working a little bit less. Um, what would be my one behaviour? It's a, you know, like these are these are good chunky questions to really think about, aren't they? And as I kind of just throw these random questions at you, you can kind of see there's real power in great questioning. And, you know, if we go back to my analogy with the person at reception, you know, I could have had a lot more, I could have been a lot more supportive and helpful to her if I just used some really good questions um, and helped her find her answers, not necessarily just put my context upon it. Um, so just interesting, you know, just kind of, I suppose right now, have I sold the power of questions? I hope I have. Well, there's one question that I find really, really fascinating in life. And it's a question that meant that I had to confront a lot when I was a little bit younger. And it's probably one that I don't have to confront so much nowadays because I've worked on this area. But I'm going to throw it at you. Here's the question. Who gets the worst version of you? Who gets the worst version of you? It's an interesting question to think about that one, isn't it? Who gets the worst version of you? I was talking earlier in the show about how at a function I was at the other night, I said it to one one guy I was talking to, and you could see as soon as I said it, there was a bit of a shock moment inside his mind because obviously the person he identified was maybe someone who was really important to him. And... This is often the answer, isn't it? When we think about who gets the worst version of you, it's often the person who's meant to get the best version of us. It might be your partner. It might be a friend. It might be your kids. And and, and I'm going to be honest, when I was younger, it was my daughter who got the worst version of me. 
And not because she was a kid and kids are hard work at times. It was because I was a bit selfish in my life. I was trying to be an athlete. I was putting too much energy elsewhere that my daughter kind of always got the tired version of me. I don't think I was a totally horrible parent all the time, but um, generally speaking, she was kind of, you know, of all the versions of me out there in the world, unfortunately, my daughter was getting the worst version of me. And when I when I realised this, it really made me realise I need to make some massive shifts in my life. And, and, and one thing that happened, and this is actually reflective of the conversation I was having the other night, someone who was in the conversation with us, um, I, as I threw that question out, who gets the worst version of you? They kind of said, yeah, but often they get the best version. And and and. and I didn't mean to be difficult, but I kind of just put it there and I said, well, do they? Do they get the best version of you? Because there's a, there's a lot of relationships out there, and I'm not just meaning, you know, your partner or, or if you're in a loving relationship or, you know, because a lot of people are single, but there's a lot of relationship, and relationship just means connection between two people where maybe there, there's just not that much great stuff. Now, and there are ones where there are, you know, who do get the worst version of you. But maybe the good and the worst isn't an even balance. And maybe there is no good. So if we go back to that question of who gets the worst version of you, who are you identifying in your life right now? As I sat down to do the prep for today's show, I basically wrote one, two, three, four, about eight questions. Um, so I'm just going to throw these questions at you. And, and today I'm not going to necessarily try to give you that many answers I'm just going to kind of just throw some questions at you So the first question number one is Who gets the worst version of yourself Of you uh, The second question I'm going to throw at you is Why do they get the worst version of you Why do they get the worst version of you So for me when Going back to my daughter when she was younger And you know when I was, when she was just kind of getting a tired version of me, the reason why was because I kind of chose a sport that was very selfish in time and energy. So the version she would get with me was often a really tired version of me. And the tired version of me, you know, so that's probably the why. You know, I'm, I, I was going to go somewhere else there, but I'll stop there. So as you think about yourself right now, the person who gets the worst version of you, why do they get the worst version of you? Then the next question is, is what is their experience of you? You know, what is their experience of you? So we've, we've looked at who is it, why is it, and what is their experience of you? And so um, with my daughter, if I just go back to this daughter experience, um, she probably got a, a, a tired, sometimes maybe a little bit grumpy, um, sometimes look for the easy option as a parent so don't engage as much as maybe I could have at times um, because maybe I was too tired so I'd, you know maybe say oh let's watch a movie instead of going outside and playing outside those types of things you know like so that was kind of her experience of me like it's always really interesting to, to reflect upon ourselves from a different perspective isn't it and um what is that person's experience of you? What is that person's experience of you? So that's kind of the third question I want you to think about here. Uh, maybe, maybe the fourth question, and I'm kind of just throwing these, again, I told you the power of questions today, didn't I? So you uh, be ready or we'll continue to be confronted by this. Um, is this person important to you? Is this person important to you? Hmm. Maybe they're not. Like, 
it's okay to have some people in your life. Like, I, there's somebody in my life, I, I'm the kind of guy who likes everyone, I'm quite lucky, but there's, there's a couple of people in my life I don't have much time for, and there's one person in my life who um, I struggle with, I'm not going to deny it, um, and it's, you know, like, and, and I don't give them much time. <laughs> and, so, and so I'm going to be honest, they probably don't get, they, 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 right now they'll probably get the worst version of me, and, and actually that's okay, because I'm, I'd rather put my time and energy elsewhere. Uh, but is this person important to you? Now, if the answer is yes, well, then some of this line of questioning probably makes you think about some changes that need to happen. Um, what would you want this relationship to be with? Or, or maybe maybe this is the way of putting it. Um, what would you, what version of you would you ultimately want this person to have of you? What version of you would you ultimately want this person to have of you? So again, as, as I think back to my own experience that I'm kind of sharing here with my daughter, well, the experience that I had at that time was, you know, a tired, um, maybe sometimes grumpy, maybe sometimes looks for the easier way out. That was the experience I had. Well, what did I want? What I wanted her to feel that she was important to me, that I was willing to do anything for her. Um, I also wanted her to know that I was the parent, you know, like for me being the adult and being the parent was really important. So it's so boundaries. You know, because sometimes as a parent, when you're tired, sometimes you let your own boundaries slip with your kids because it's just easier for you. And let's be honest, all parents do that. And, you know, parenting's hard, so I'm not judging anyone for this. But, I, you know, like, I will have the ability to stick to my boundaries because I think boundaries are really important for kids. Um, you know, I, I'd want her to be, to think of, you know, for time with dad to be a happy time. Or maybe not happy because I think happy is just such a, a simple answer, but I think, you know, that, that time with dad adds value to her experience in life. You know, these types of, that's, that's what I would want my daughter to experience of me. So if we think back of the person you've identified, what experience of you would you want them to ultimately have with you? Like if it's your partner, you know, your lover, or your best friend, or, you know, whoever it is. What would you want their experience to be with you? What needs to change in your life to be able to create that experience? What needs to change in your life to be able to create that experience? Now, ultimately, what needed to change in my life is I had to, to kind of give up my sport. I had to, to give up a sport that I loved. I also had got to the end of my sporting career, so it was kind of, in many ways it was kind of easy. But for me to be a better parent for my daughter... I needed to give up something that was quite a big thing to me. Now, sometimes the things you need to give up in your life are actually quite easy. You know, the, the unhealthy things for you that maybe you know, you know, I think of the person who drinks too much and goes to the pub every night and doesn't spend time with their parents or their partner. Sorry, their kids or their partner. You know, they don't never spend much quality time with their partner. So their partner gets, you know, that bad time with them when you're hungover or, or drunk or whatever you know I think of that person and, and you know that maybe drinking is your problem so pulling back on a bit of drinking so you can be a better version of yourself for your wife or your partner or your children that seems like a good thing for you sometimes it's not sometimes it is that thing you get a lot of value from I think of the person who's a real career driven person and works too hard and, and neglects you know friendship you know, and uh, works too hard and they neglect the friendship and so maybe they have to give it up a little bit of work to have great friendship. So what needs to change about your life to be the version of you that you want to be for that person? 
maybe the next question is obviously I'm just throwing lots of questions at you right now and I can't even do a recap because they're just coming out my butt I'm going to be honest I'm just kind of throwing them at you um how do you make that change how do you make that change how do you make that change that's that's the big one really isn't it because often most of us know that we need to change it's the how that we need to do that um, another question is, what skills do I need to develop in myself for this? Um, I just kind of think around the whole idea of, so someone I was talking to about a similar subject actually, they were kind of saying how when life gets a bit tough, they push their world away. And so, you know, their partner, for example, when life gets tough, this person pushes their world away, so their, their partner gets the worst version of them. And it's partly because this person doesn't really know how to express when life gets tough. They haven't learned how to process through this time. And because they haven't learned how to process through this time, um, it, it ultimately creates a problem. And their partner gets the worst version of them. So as in thinking about the skills that this person needs to develop, well, they need to develop healthy ways to deal with the tough times in their life. That opens them up to building connection and vulnerability, going back to what I talked about in the first part of the show, and then build trust with their partner in this time. You know, it's these types of things that are skills that could be developed. Uh, last question I'm going to throw at you. What would, it be, what would be life be like if I'd nailed this area what would my life be like if I nailed this area? If the person who gets the worst version of me, and I want to actually get a better version of me, if I'd done the work to the questions I've thrown at you right now, what would my life be like? Now obviously I've thrown, I can't remember what questions I've thrown at you, and I'm not going to go back and recap because I've talked for way too long, but um, obviously I've thrown a lot of hard questions at you right now, haven't I? And, and I kind of think this is one of those podcasts that you probably need to listen to a few times and you might want to jot down some notes around what are those questions because if like the person I was talking to at the function the other night, when I asked that question of who gets the worst version of you, if I asked it, if you were confronted by that and it was a, a real light bulb moment for you, and I've got to be honest, I think that's what I saw in this person's face the other night. And I know when I thought of that question around my daughter, I realised I needed to make some pretty big shifts in my life. Um, if, if you experienced that as you heard that today, well, this is obviously an area to work on in your life. And it's funny, uh, today's show in some ways has themes, doesn't it? But it, it all comes back to relationship, doesn't it? The first one was about trust. The second one was about how important people are. And, you know, think of those two people whose house burned down. Well, the people in your life are so important. And, you know, one thing that age has taught me is the, the better relationships I have, the better my life will be. And I'm pretty sure if you speak to most old people who have lived a good life and seem healthy, and I mean mind and, and soul, have probably nurtured relationships in really powerful ways. And those who maybe are a little bit on the other side of that coin maybe haven't done that so much. And so the value of relationships are a really important thing. And it would be horrible to think that those who are meant to be the most closest to you in your life ultimately just get the worst version of you. And we can also flip that on its head. What would your life be like if they got the best version of you? 
like what would it be like if you had amazing connection with your lover with your best friend with your children like that's it's a pretty obvious answer isn't it so to wrap it up think about these questions you know the power of the question is a powerful thing and it's powerful if we're willing to 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 look in the mirror around the question and then to use that as a guiding light to actually help us do the work because none of this is going to make a difference if you don't do the work and that's what this is all about so if this has been a bit of a light bulb moment for you today I really really challenge you to go back to the start and listen to it again write down those questions and work through those questions because if you can build a life where those people who are actually important to you in your life experience a greater version of you I can guarantee your life's going to be better. And and if I go back to how I always wrap up this segment, you're going to be a better version of yourself. You really are.